It's time to add some spice to your nooner. Nooner. <laughs> Funny. This is the place where big-time guests, bold opinions, and little cute doggies come together. This, this is Rothman and Ice. No Rothman, no Ice, but you've got Chops and Jensen Lewis hanging out with you for the next three hours. I wish we had some of those little cute doggies as well, but we'll settle for us. <laughs> we'll be good. We'll be all right. I, that would probably be pretty hard to do a radio show if there was like a dog, because... Because we did some shows from home, obviously, over the past year, and we got a dog over the year. We were one of the pandemic dog people, although it was already on the plans before the pandemic, so it wasn't okay. just a response to the pandemic. But it happened to be the time we finally uh, we got through the wedding, we got married, we got the dog, now we got the house. So we keep taking steps up. I don't know, maybe in a year I'll be CEO of the entire company. But... My point is, when you're at home and your dog sees you go into the other room and you close the door for the first probably 20 minutes, so for like that first segment of the show, you can hear sometimes clawing at the door, trying to get in, maybe a little whimper. So, no, I think actually it would be difficult to do the show if we had dogs running around the studio. That'd be tough. Uh, although uh, AR, our resident veteran, probably would uh, would know how to act and uh, be able to, to calm uh, the little pup down. But I thought you were going to say, are you added a dog during quarantine? pandemic you added the house well the next thing buddy is oh yeah that is the next thing little little chops jr here huh that's gotta be on the on the menu is the world ready for another chops running around (laughs) i don't know i i don't know if i'm ready but i like i said i i mowed the lawn over the weekend that felt like a really dad moment on a father's day (laughs) so yeah the the last thing i need to really make it a father's day is to add a kid so we'll we'll see it 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 could be on the list but uh let's we'll take our time with that didn't take their time last night uh trey young really i mean he's just a complete budding it's not even budding anymore he's a superstar this this postseason has cemented trey young as he's going to be a guy to watch everybody's going to have him circled at the beginning of the season and he just continues to run through these playoffs it doesn't matter what type of defense you throw at him i was reading this article today about different types of defenses that milwaukee was was trying to to push at him and he just finds his way into any pocket into anywhere he does floaters he obviously shoots the deep ball and he'll shoot it from anywhere he can shoot mid-range and he can dish it he ended up with 11 assists last night but the big one 48 points and i believe he like scored or assisted on like 16 of their last 18 and throughout the game there were little there were little stats like that where he's scored or assisted on 18 of their last 20 points little things like that trey young just going off as atlanta takes a 1-0 series lead with a win on the road so they've stolen home court they beat milwaukee 116 to 113 last night yeah, this uh, some NBA history actually made last night. Uh, Atlanta only the fourth team uh, in the association's history to win three game ones on the road All right. in the playoffs. Uh, that according to ESPN Stats and Information. So they joined the 99 Knicks, the 89 Bulls, and the 81 Rockets. Uh, that, that in and of itself uh, is quite an achievement. But uh, yeah, what Trey Young did last night, uh, you mentioned 48 points, seven rebounds. Uh, 11 assists in 41 minutes. Uh, we we kind of alluded to it yesterday that you know the I had talked about the ratings being at an all time high since what 02 something like the early mm-hmm. 2000s, and and the big reason is no one wants to watch LeBron James. No one wants to to see all the oh god we've seen all these teams uh, the same year year in the year NBA out. did start to feel like well I've seen that before so yeah, yeah right I'll tune into the finals but I don't need to see the Miami Heat or the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Golden State Warriors win another conference finals yeah 
Yeah, and that's where you're looking at it right now. And we talked about how Phoenix uh, with Booker and just a young group, upstart uh, group uh, with Aiton, uh, they, they've been really fun to watch. Uh, it'll be a, a very intriguing game three tonight uh, as the Clippers. Uh, you almost think they're in the spot they want to be in because they've had to come from behind in, in virtually every series so far. So I don't think they're panicking whatsoever. But, I mean, if you had Atlanta... Uh, going in and taking game one. Congratulations to you. I think Bucks were favored by seven last night, so Atlanta wins outright. Uh, I think a lot of people thought that the Bucks might win this going away. And, uh, and they had it kind of going to that. They were getting yeah. it up to, upwards to seven, nine points, like kind of that range. And then Atlanta kept hanging in there. And then in the second half, it became a little bit more Atlanta. In the early part of the game, it looked to me like, okay, I think Milwaukee's going to be able to find a way to win this series because they looked like they were playing more, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, more like basketball. And Atlanta was kind of relying a little bit more on the three in the first half. But in the second half, it kind of flipped, and Atlanta started doing stuff inside the paint, inside. Trey Young only hit, I think, like four threes or something like that. Uh, maybe right. it was six, something in that in that range. But he also had a few where he was just shooting really, really deep twos uh so atlanta yeah they found different ways to score as the game went on it looked like they were relying on the three a little bit too much and when they were relying on three it was still kind of working to keep it close because they were getting three every time milwaukee was getting two how about uh yeah so just go through the box score and you kind of see uh, obviously with, with young having the 48 points leading all scorers but you look at john collins 23 points uh, he had 15 rebounds uh, capella was pretty solid with 19 rebounds and 12 points uh, Bucks, uh, no surprise. Giannis with thirty-four and twelve. Uh, Middleton was kind of shut down a little bit uh, last night. Only fifteen points. Or Drew Holiday actually came to play for once. Uh, he had thirty-three and ten uh, assists. So uh, we got a series, my man. We've got a series, and yes. Atlanta is for real. So it's going to be uh, very intriguing as we move forward. And it's going to be a uh, for Budenholzer. It's going to be a, a tough ask for him because I think he's still trying to figure out what they're going to do with Trey Young. I think it became clear last night that Lopez being on the court is not going to be something they can do while Trey Young's out there. And Trey Young, he played forty one of you know what the forty eight minutes last night, so he's going to be out there pretty much the entire time. So I don't know what they're going to do. They can't go big. They're going to have to go small ball to deal with Trey Young and. We'll see if it works, but he drops 48 in the first one on the road. He's not scared of any. That's the other thing about Trey Young. He's not scared of any spotlight. He's just right. a guy who goes out there. He'll shoot from anywhere. He'll go up against anyone. I think there was one play where he was uh, like on deep. You know, there was a weird switch, and he's guarding Giannis. And uh, okay, sure, throw me in there. Yeah. And he was he did his best. And uh, but offensively, he sh- certainly shines. Uh, it, it was uh, a really good game. Uh, they did uh, everything they needed to do, and now you kind of shift your focus to uh, the the Western Conference Finals, as we alluded to. Uh, we're expecting Chris Paul. Uh, I know he's listed as probable. So, Which, what does that mean? And like, does he have to? <laughs> does he have to test? Like, have another negative test? Yeah, he, I think so. Okay, because so. I'm like, what is probable? Like, he's not he's not nursing an ankle and like seeing if it can go right. tonight. It's like I feel like you should know, but I guess yeah, they're awaiting some. So we'll probably get that sometime in the afternoon. I would assume the yeah, would the official decision yeah, on that yeah absolutely and and again when you think about how how phoenix is uh really trended well here in the first couple of games without him i mean cameron Payne uh, having to start in his stead uh he has been magnificent so now you add back arguably their their team mvp in cp3 and uh it, it'll be a, a big one because uh, Kawhi again listed out so uh let's see if playoff paul can make his free throws 
and uh, and get back in this series. Well, they say uh, the series never begins until the the road team wins a game. Well, Clippers uh, feel like all right, this is game one for them. You look back at their last couple of series; they've fallen behind, mm-hmm. and then they found a way to to get back into the series. So I would expect a a spirited effort from the Clip Show tonight. Well, because, yeah, I mean, if they can get the two at home, then it basically just resets, turns into a three-game series. Maybe Kawhi is is back by that time. It feels like the Suns are in a really good spot, and then Chris Paul coming back, and you think, oh, man, that's the, the, they could just run away with this one. But they have been very close games in the first two. Obviously, it came down to the final second in game two the other night with DeAndre Ayton with that put back or the put in off the inbound there. So the, the Clippers aren't far off, even though they're in this 2-0 hole. So you're right, watching these games now back in L.A., they could reset the series. And then, especially if Kawhi can come back, the final three of, of that one would be very exciting. Yeah, it would. Um, also, uh, some good hockey last night. I'm not sure if you stayed up and watched that one, but uh, Islanders uh, even it up. We'll have a game seven uh, in the uh, Eastern Conference uh, final there as uh, Tampa unable to close it out. Three to two, they get it done. How about Montreal? Is Montreal the best story in sports this year? Uh, I think that is such an intriguing franchise uh, in this in this playoff. Uh, and, and looking, obviously, they got a chance to close it out at home tonight against Vegas. But they've got to be one of the best stories in sports this year because uh, they literally have been a Cinderella, uh, knocking off uh, Toronto, uh, and, and everyone kind of thought that was going to be uh, a, a pretty easy series for the Maple Leafs, not able to do that. But Montreal, man. Uh, they just keep finding ways a, to win. They, they really do. And in front of, what, 5,000 fans? And, and it feels like 30,000 there. I mean, everyone's outside the arena because you can't get in. Uh, they still got all those COVID protocols going on in Canada. But uh, Montreal, a chance to uh, close it out tonight against Vegas. We had Greg Wyshynski on Bishop and Laurinaitis last week, and he was talking about that Montreal series because, yeah, they're still on a pretty significant lockdown up in Canada. There's, you know, the limited fans, but they – the the players themselves have pretty much been at like a stay at home because right. of all the restrictions they're dealing with and then they had to go in those first two games and they got one of them but the, they go from like lockdown in Canada to basically Vegas I mean real Vegas but basically no <laughs> rules Vegas which are there any rules in Vegas period but anyways no. they get there and like that's got to be the most distracting thing and they still find a way to get one on the road there and now they're yeah they're they're leading 3-2 but I just for the Canadians that had to be such a, uh, I mean, a shock in a in a welcome way, but just like a man, look, look at how different it can be uh, down here in the states right now with uh, the the vaccine being in a better spot, so things are a little bit more open. And Vegas is Vegas. Yep, well, it'll be a who if they can get it done. Uh, whoever their opponent will be, Tampa or the Islanders, uh, you you got to believe that uh, the Stanley Cup final uh, is going to be a very well-contested, possibly low-scoring if it is uh, the Islanders. But if it's the Lightning, get ready to shoot the lights out, man. If Vegas can find a way to come back, you're going to see a lot of goals if it's Vegas and, and Tampa. But uh, if not, Montreal is very don't deserving. Want, and, I don't want the Golden Knights to have any more at-bats with the Stanley Cup. I'm tired of it. I, <laughs> they, they, they just get to come in and they get the, the perfect expansion draft for themselves and they're immediately competing. Here they are in another conference final. They might be going to another Stanley Cup final. I don't want it. You might like this. I have a buddy who I think in like January when they were still working out the last little bits 
of what the NHL uh, season would look like this year. He just plays sort of like a, a flyer future bet on the Canadians to win okay. the Stanley Cup. So I, I check in with him every once in a while. I'm like, hey, how's that bet looking? I, I, I think he would probably be getting close to hedge at this point, but obviously if they make the... If they if they make the Stanley Cup final, he can hedge that out, you know, putting whatever he needs to on the other person because he didn't put very much, but it, I think it stands to win, you know, uh, four four figures for him. So that's a pretty good yeah. bet. Very nice. I I have Montreal at sixteen to one to win it all, so I'm getting close to uh, hedge territory here if they get through and. Uh, I would expect that they're probably going to be series underdogs of whoever they face, whether it's Tampa or the Islanders. I can't see them being favored. But, uh, yeah, I, I threw down some pizza money uh, when I was out <laughs> in Vegas for uh, March Madness. So I'm, I'm rooting for the Canadiens tonight, that's for sure. There you have it. So tonight, yeah, we'll have that game through the Western Conference Finals in the NBA. The Suns lead two games to nothing against the Clippers, but they're in L.A. tonight at 9 o'clock. At 8 o'clock, the Golden Knights at the Canadiens. Montreal leads that series 3-2. to two. We'll take a look at the Seth Jones trade market next. Rothman and Ice on the fan. News, opinions, and insight all before breakfast. Rise and shine with morning juice. Weekdays starting at 6. The Fan, Ohio's sports destination. They're both former athletes for a reason. Good thing they can talk sports. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. Rothman and Ice, sponsored by your local Pella Window and Door showroom on Gemini Parkway. The fan, Ohio's sports destination. Chops and Jensen Lewis hanging out with you on a Thursday on Rothman and Ice. So I was reading this article in The Athletic, actually CB passed it along to me by Pierre Lebrun, and it was uh, about the the level of interest and the the trade market for defensemen in the NHL this offseason and going into next season because there's there's a lot of these guys available, and one of them right here in Columbus, the Blue Jackets' own Seth Jones, who earlier this summer reportedly has uh, made the Blue Jackets aware that he doesn't want to re-sign. He's not working on negotiations for a contract extension, and he would like to explore free agency at the end of next season. So with the Blue Jackets, especially where they might be competitively, that puts them in a position where it doesn't make much sense to to basically take one more year of Seth Jones and then get nothing for him. So that puts them on, you know, on the possible trade block. But the question is when... Could that happen? We'll open with this. Pierre Lebrun says one league source told him that the level of interest is off the charts, which is something wow. we would expect for yeah. Seth Jones, but that's good to hear as a Blue Jackets yeah. fan. No, no question. I mean, you start thinking about landing spots, and and I would say the first first thing that comes to mind is Philadelphia. Uh, they've been obviously looking for a defenseman. They lost, what uh, was it, Niskanen? I think Matt Niskanen, because uh, he just retired suddenly. And uh, then they've had, what, uh, Brian Elliott, Carter Hart, Alex Lyon uh, scored 189 goals, I think, in 56 games. But then you look at what uh, Seth Jones has done. Uh, 50 goals, 123 points for the Blue Jackets uh, in his last 381 game, or his, his total uh, 381 games. So three guys scoring, you know, 189 uh, but you could get what Seth Jones uh, has done, and just the pr- the productivity I think is is big. So I think Philly is a is a spot. Uh, even Edmonton uh, might be a, a place, uh, even though they've got some. I think they got some salary cap issues, um, uh, or at least they did. So yeah. I think they're just coming out of that now. I think they've got an opportunity. I'll tell you another pl- uh, two places that are intriguing are Detroit and Winnipeg, uh, and we just saw Winnipeg get bounced in uh, in the playoffs. Detroit has kind of been. 
Uh, is Detroit ready to cash in on their rebuild the at this point? Yeah, yeah. That would they, be the they thing. haven't been able to, ready. Yeah, and it has to at a certain point. Like you have to give up on it because they've been trying to be bad and they've 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 <laughs> succeeded at being bad, but yes. not succeeded at getting the top pick or getting up <laughs> right. there in the draft. So it's like, all right, well now we just got to try to start winning again because we're you know we're the Red Wings for God's sake. We got to do play hockey. We got let's go do that hockey is what Correct. they've got to be saying at this point. So yeah, adding a uh, a true first line defenseman on the blue line there. Yeah. Would be something they'd be interested in. LeBron did mention the Flyers because you know they need a blue liner and they've got some young players to entice Columbus. And that brings up the the biggest question is whether Jones would be a one year rental or whether it's part of a trade where he signs an extension with the team and that would garner Columbus a little bit more in the trade market. So that's something they're going to have to have to work out if it's going to be something where he's going to sign. It's weird. If it's an extension, he wants to go to a team that's competitive, but that also makes it more likely that it might be a better option for a rental if it's a team that thinks they're they're ready to win now. So almost yeah. with the extension, it ah, that's a that's just a tough decision for Seth Jones to make. Is like okay, if you send me to a team that maybe isn't quite ready to win right now, but is a little bit further along in a, in a rebuild or a reload, whatever they're doing, then Columbus is. He might feel comfortable signing the extension there because if a team is ready to win right now, who knows that they're going to be competitive throughout the existence of that contract. So. For me, it just becomes such a hard decision for Seth Jones on top of the Blue Jackets having to make the decisions of where they want to trade him. But he brought this on himself. He's opened up the fact that, I mean, he has to know that when he tells him I'm not going to resign, that that doesn't, that pretty much implies that, okay, well, now we're going to probably be looking to trade you. This will be interesting. I know we're having Jeff Sabota come on. Uh, I'll, I'll be fascinated to hear kind of his insight into, like, is there any chance, and I know he's come out and publicly said, Seth Jones has that uh, he's not going to resign. Is there a scenario, and, and we'll have to ask him this, is there a scenario in which he kind of just sits back and says, you know what? I kind of like it. It's all right here. It, it's not as bad. You know, you hear, you hear him say, or you hear people say that grass isn't always greener, right? Right. I mean, he's a focal point in this organization. He's a guy that um, if if you're if you're Brad Larson you're, and you're, you're coming in here and you're one you've already – uh, you know, had experience with him. I mean, is there a phone call or a couple of phone calls to say, "Hey, listen, man, I I, I know you want to get yours. I I know you you don't want to be part of a rebuild." But we may not. In the kind of what we alluded to yesterday, right? When we're talking about Eichel and the possible trade with him, it is the rebuild going to be multiple years, or is it like, hey, one year we need to kind of reset and then we're going for it. Um, I, I think that's. I, I wonder. And we'll yeah. have to ask Jeff about. It. I wonder if that's any. If there's any scenario there where he's like, yeah, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll. Maybe I'll stay. Maybe I'll stay. And then that would be tough because it doesn't. I mean, he's he's definitely not going to do it this summer. I think that's pretty clear. So yeah, the idea would be okay. Take your take your chances. Hold on to Seth Jones. Try to add another piece. You add a guy like Jack Eichel who's got five years. So if Seth Jones were to resign, he would have four years left after an extension would be signed for Seth Jones. And you, you play that out and you take that gamble as the Blue Jackets. You have another year. You show him, hey, look at we're competitive in a different way. This is now Brad Larson's team. Look at how we've built this roster. How how we put together a slightly different type of team. Maybe he likes it more. Maybe uh, maybe he was rubbed the wrong way by Torts, although he never really seemed to express that. And most of the players seem to like Torts. It's mostly outside noise about Torts being so abrasive, but there is definitely some of that, I think, to be said, especially in a coach change. So it could be something the Jackets could do. I just don't know if it's worth it, but they could kind of hedge their bets in that way because 
Uh, Pierre Lebrun, you know, he threw this out there, and this is obviously a possibility for Seth Jones and what you might do in his trade market. You hold on to him. Well, he might be more valuable to a rental at the trade deadline. So you can hold on to him for about half the season, and maybe you can gauge it then. And if it's still feeling that way, that it doesn't sound like he's going to come back to Columbus, then you can unload him at the trade deadline and do something that they kind of did this year where you, you, you garner a bunch of picks, and that puts you in a better position to rebuild still. But if you did that and you picked up Jack, it's just so many gambles, I think, for Columbus. They'd have to really think about this plan and think about whether it was worth it. And it goes back to Yarmo saying this is a reload, not a rebuild. But based on the moves they've made, it looks like a rebuild. But if he truly thinks it's a reload, then, yeah, you would want to hold on to Seth Jones and hold out hope that he does resign. It's going to be interesting. It really is. Uh, and uh, you're kind of at a crossroads here, too, because uh, literally 24 hours ago, we just talked about, uh, okay, does it make sense from a salary standpoint uh, mm-hmm. if you are going to rebuild to bring in a guy like Eichel, but you pair him with, with line A you know, in that line, and my goodness, does that look, does that look incredibly sexy, but can you afford it? And if, if you're going to just say, all right, the three first-round picks, we're, we're, going to, we're going to use these to build the new core of this group, then then you would have to think that Seth Jones is definitely going to be on his way out. Yeah, and if they want to do a move for Eichel, that's coming up because the draft is next month, and you would right. think that the picks are going to be a lot more valuable when you know no it's question. whatever the Sabres would get to pick yep. instead of trying to trade your picks. So, very interesting next month for the Blue Jackets. Uh, trades possible bringing in and going out. We'll have to see what they do, but a guy who would know a little bit more about it, Team Insider Jeff Swoboda joins us next for more on the Blue Jackets offseason. Rothman and Ice right here on The Fan. We are everywhere. On your radio, online, the fan app, Alexa, and behind you in your car right now too creepy sorry the fan ohio sports destination the hardest working show in the business or at least at this station in their time slot this is rothman and ice rothman and ice both out this week chops and jensen lewis hanging out with you and right now we're going to head out to the bryant heating and cooling systems fan guest hotline we're going to talk to blue jackets insider jeff swoboda Jeff, how you doing today? I saw that you were the lucky guy who got chosen to bring some donuts in. How many did Stinger eat? <laughs> Stinger has a large appetite. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. I'm glad Stinger got his donuts. They looked like they were they were peer pressuring you into doing it, and, and you, you gave in. But I'm sure you got some donuts yourself, so that's always a win. Yeah, exactly. And there's no better way to start the day, right? Right. No, no, no better way. But another good way to start the day, some Blue Jackets questions. So... We're going to start you off with the rumors that they're interested in trading for Jack Eichel. To me, that seems counter to the rebuild situation, but then I think back to when Yarmo said he he wants us to be a reload. Are the Jackets still the mindset that this is a reload team? I think it sort of depends on how this Jack Eichel situation goes, and I think that if you have the ability to trade for a player like Jack Eichel, you know, guys like this do not come on the market very often. So if, if the opportunity is there, you certainly have to at least explore it and kind of see where it goes. You know, there's, even if you tank, there's no guarantee, you know, the way that with the draft lottery and things like that, that you will end up with a player of that stature even if you lose for a while. It happened to Detroit a couple years ago where they were, the, you know, the worst team in the league and they ended up picking fourth in the draft. So, you know, I think you've, you've got to explore that, pers- that possibility. Um, and I think they certainly are exploring that possibility. It'll be interesting to see how it develops. Uh, do the Blue Jackets have the package that a team like Buffalo might want in a deal like that? Uh, it's, it's certainly going to be very competitive uh, if they do try to make that deal just from the aspect of, 
you know, again, guys like Jack Eichel don't end up on the market very often, so there's going to be a lot of teams interested there, pretty much everyone calling the Buffalo Sabres GM. So uh, it, it's a possibility for sure, and I think they're looking into it, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot harder to make this kind of deal uh, than, than you would think just because of all the people and all the pieces that would be involved. Yeah, Jeff, it's Jensen. I, we were kind of surmising yesterday that that it, I think within if Yarmo and the group in the building are – are, are they, if they're being cagey, as our friends across the pond would call it, uh, are, it's a matter of deciding, like, is this an official rebuild one and how long do they want it to be? If it is a short rebuild, is there a scenario in which, and we were just kind of talking about this with the Seth Jones trade possibility, that can you convince Seth Jones, like, hey, we're, for a year we may not compete, but we're going to go try and get a Patrick I or we're going to go try and get an Eichel to to put with line A. We're going to we're going to maybe have to trade a, a couple of these picks. It's not going to be as long as people might think of it. Is that a possibility whatsoever? That is a great question and, and you know I really Seth hasn't said anything publicly as far as that goes, but he does seem like someone that wants to explore free agency and I, you know he certainly has that right. You know if, if I was in his situation I would probably do the same just because uh this this last contract he's going to sign this will be his last big deal. Uh, and so you, you want to look at every possibility, I think, if you're him. And, and he has every right to go to that point. Um, and so if you're the Blue Jackets, then you then you have to obviously protect yourself in a situation where it's, it's not for sure that he would come back. Um, so who knows what it would take to get him back. But I do think the Jackets, you know, if you look at the situation that they're in, uh, you know, they, they've got a lot of cap room. They've got three first-round picks. Uh, they've got the possibility of trading a goalie, uh, the possibility of, you know, if Seth does get traded, you know, you have to think there'd be a good return there. So you, do, you talk about the length of a rebuild. Uh, you know, when you've got a lot of pieces like that, suddenly it doesn't look like the longest rebuild. And so I think you kind of look, I think you maybe a little bit let the market dictate what's out there. Um, you know, if a guy like Jack Eichel is available, like I say, I think you've got to certainly explore that, and that would make your team better immediately. Uh, if that kind of deal doesn't come to fruition, you've got, again, a lot of pieces there that you could trade to, to kind of see this thing really not take very long to kind of turn it back around, uh, just with the high-level draft picks, the young players that you have. Uh, and and the, the guys that you're trading, uh, you're going to be able to get a lot of assets uh, for, to set this thing up pretty quickly, I would think, uh, for a rebuild if it does end up going that direction. But I say there, there's a lot of flexibility there, uh, and you need kind of like to see what, wait and see what happens and maybe see what the market brings you before you fully decide what direction you're going to go if you're the Blue Jackets. Talking to Blue Jackets insider Jess Foboda on the Bryant Heating and Cooling Systems fan guest hotline. You mentioned the three picks in the first round of this draft. It's coming up next month. As we get closer to it, are you getting the sense that they're sticking with the idea of you know the three best players available at the time, or is there a positional need you think they're likely to target maybe with those later two picks in the first round? Yeah, I think you'd love to get a center just because obviously there's been so much talk about this team needing help down the middle. And this, I don't think the, the problem is that this doesn't appear to be uh, the best draft as far as centers go. Um, there's Maddie Beneers out of the University of Michigan at the top, but there's a pretty good chance he'll be gone by the time the Blue Jackets pick. Uh, and then, you know, he's probably the one elite center in this whole deal. Uh, and, and so then if that guy's off the board, you probably just go with positional need. Uh, and that's what Yarmo Kekalainen said when the uh, draft lottery happened, is that they would probably just go with the best player available. And, and he's, it's true, especially a lot of times you get in the late first round and anything past that, you're projecting out four or five years. And so mm-hmm. uh, you're not necessarily picking for a guy that's going to immediately come in. And so your, your needs could be totally different four to five years down the road. So, yeah, you go after the best player available. And he even also mentioned, you know, there's a pretty good chance they end up trading one of these first-round picks just to bring in some help for next year. So, uh, again, that's why I don't sit here and necessarily go fully believing that it's going to be a long rebuild or because, yeah. you know, they've still got some pretty good players and they've got all those assets. And you just 
you just wonder what, what you can do with that, especially with the expansion draft coming and maybe teams having to, to make some deals. So it'll be an interesting month, that's for sure, coming up here. Yeah, Jeff, and uh, last one for me. When you think about uh, you know Brad Larson coming in now, and he, he's already got experience with the group and uh, well documented. I think you and me and uh, Anthony Rothman were talking about when Line A came over, and, and obviously his relationship or lack of with Torts. Uh, it it might be kind of a fresh start now, and and to to just kind of dream on the possibility of an Eichel Line A line. I mean that. To me, that would be very appealing if I'm a free agent, if, if I'm a guy out there looking at, okay, we're going to go back, we, I would assume, going back to the traditional four-division setup uh, for each conference uh, and, and look at you know, the potential of, of being able, as you said, to make this a quick rebuild and, and, and still even maybe compete. Because if, if I'm a free agent looking at, oh, Eichel's coming over to Columbus, we're going to get a couple of young guns coming in out of the draft, you've got Patrick Lyon, it all of a sudden starts to feel a heck of a lot better and, and maybe a lot more appetizing than where we currently stand. Yeah, I would think so. And I think when you look at, at the Patrick Liney deal, you, you acquire Patrick Liney because he's, he's only 23 years old, I think, at this point. I think he's 22 when the deal happened. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of good hockey ahead of him. But I think you also knew when they made this deal, or at least they knew when they made this deal, that you know, they were going to have to add um, some pieces around Patrick Liney to get the most out of him. Uh, You've know, you, you got to get him a high-level center uh, to help things out. And, and you've got to add to that top six and make it a situation where Patrick Liney is not the only guy on the ice that teams are focusing on. But they know that, and I think that's the goal going forward. If they're going to build around a guy like Line A, uh, that you've you got to add some offensive pieces and, and really be able to get the most out of him. And so, uh, you know, like I say, if, if, if a deal like Eichel comes along, that would certainly be there. You know, you're looking at guys maybe also like the, you know, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is a guy who'd be out there at center, Sam Reinhardt possibly out of Buffalo as well. Uh, you, you want to add some top six pieces to try to make this thing worthwhile uh, and make it work. And I, I think that's, uh, if you do something like that, yeah, suddenly you do become a place that, you know, maybe people want to play. Uh, a little bit more than than it seems like, you know, that vibe is out there right now, uh, at least among, among the certain situations with Seth and things like that. Jeff, we'll get you out of here on this one. Brad Larson, of course, coached under John Tortorella for a long time. So people are somewhat familiar with him, but he's still going to be a new face as far as the head coaching job here in Columbus. And he's not the same person as Tort. So what's one thing that will be noticeably different, you think, to fans as far as a team led by Brad Larson versus Torts? Yeah, that is a great question. I think it's just going to be less dramatic, maybe is the way to put it. Um, I mean, I think everyone liked Torts, but he was also a guy, you know, he was not afraid to make headlines. And I think um, I've had kind of people describe Brad Larson to me as Torts without all the theatrics, basically. Um, and so it'll, it's like he's going he's gonna to preach culture. He's going to preach teamwork uh, and hard work and things like that. And accountability and culture are the biggest things they've talked about. But it's just going to be done in a completely different way. And he's going to approach some situations differently than Torts in a way that I think you know, I, I think everyone liked and respected Torts, but there was always that feeling of, you know, Torts was Torts, and, and this guy's going to just be, be a different face. Um, and he's a great guy. People seem to like him. He has a lot of respect among the team. Uh, and, and so I think it's just going to be done a little bit in a, a toned-down fashion, I guess, in the way Torts did things. So you don't think we'll have as many fun sound bites to take up time here on the radio? Well, thanks, Brad Larson. You just made my job harder. I know. It's no fun for us, but uh, you know, Brad, Brad will fill up a microphone as well. It'll just be a little bit different than Torts. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Thanks for joining us today. It was enlightening. Thanks, Jeff. Right. Yeah, thanks, guys. He's Jeff Swoboda. He's the Blue Jackets insider. He appears courtesy of the Bryant Heating and Cooling Systems fan guest hotline. MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred thinks the changes they've made regarding foreign substances are going well. <laughs> Rothman and Ice on the fan. 
The best soccer team in the land lives on the best radio station in the land. Proud to be your flagship home for the Columbus crew all season long. The Fan, Ohio's sports destination. One of them survives on almonds and broccoli. The other crushes frozen pizza in his unwashed sweats. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. Rothman and Ice right here on The Fan. Chops and Jensen Lewis hanging out with you today and tomorrow. The Basement Doctor Cardell Jones Celebrity Softball Game presented by Reichert Automotive is coming to Huntington Park on Saturday, July 17th. Join Buckeye Greats as they swing for the fences to benefit the Buckeye Cruise for Cancer. Each ticket sold gets you a chance to win a cabin on the 2022 cruise. Head to 971thefan.com for all the info. So from softball to baseball, we've got another <laughs> interesting take on the... Uh, the search for the sticky stuff with the pitchers. That's the way we'll put it. And Rob Manfred, commissioner of baseball, thinks it's going well. Oh, Here he says uh, he was talking to the athletic. Because Grant, also, it's always through intermediaries or anything. He hasn't had yep. a, a an open press conference in over a year, right? Right. Uh, it's been, uh, well, he's going to have to for uh, the All-Star game, obviously, with everything that happened, moving it from Atlanta uh, to Denver, and uh, certainly with everything that's happened. If he doesn't, I mean, all hell's going to break loose. <laughs> I can tell you that. Because he even said that in this article, like at the end of The Athletic, he was like, when people call, I take the call. I answer. And it's like, well, that's not the same. That's, you know, that's like a, a formulated interview that you that they curate for you and everything. It's not the same as sitting there and answering live questions. But all there right. All right, Rob. Here's what he told The Athletic. Quote, my view is the first two days have gone very well. We've had no ejection, ejections for foreign substances. Players in general have been extremely cooperative. In general, is doing a lot of work there. The inspections have taken place quickly and between innings. Frankly, the data suggests that we are making progress with, res- with res- respect to the issues in spin rate that caused us to undertake the effort in the first place. I, I mean, that's certainly one way to view it. You could, uh, I guess you can tout the no ejections. That's good. That means that the players are, you know, heeding the, the warnings of not using the foreign substances and everything on the baseballs. But I would, like I said, um, in general have been extremely cooperative is, is doing a lot of work. And <laughs> he referenced, he referenced that. Uh, let's see. I have it. I have it here. He also said, I understand the incident in Philadelphia was less than ideal. He's talking about Scherzer. But that was one incident, and we expect that we will continue what? as the vast majority of cases so far without that kind of incident. Then later in the same interview, he references the uh, the Romo thing out yeah. in Oakland. So exactly. it's like, okay, so it wasn't just one incident, and that was on the second day of this. Last time I checked, baseball plays every day, and there are a lot of games. So I don't think there will be minimal incidences going forward, and maybe some of the Pitchers are overreacting, but it's just so much to spring on everybody right here. Then you've got, you know, managers now using it, as we mentioned yesterday, as a way for gamesmanship. I, it's not going well right now at the rollout. I disagree yeah. with you, Mr. Manfred. I mean, what, what game, what games are, is he watching? Uh, I, I mean, that's a horrible, horrible, horrendous statement. And, and he, there's more egg on his face now than there was when they made, uh, this public that they were going to do this enforcement. Uh, I, I've told you yesterday, I've been on record. I, I think the timing of this has been absolutely, uh, in, incredibly wrong. Uh, I don't, I don't think that we're making progress whatsoever. If anything, uh, remember he's Mr. Pace of play and the Scherzer one happened during an inning, during an inning commissioner. Right. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, you've got three lies in, in just one whole statement. 
Uh, and and it's, it's just horrendous how he has painted this. Uh, and I'm telling you, I, I hope every reporter grills him uh, over the All-Star break and takes him to task because uh, he has been as bad for baseball as any commissioner that we've ever had. It just keeps coming. I mean, this whole article was just him, like, head in the sand, lie, either lying, head in the sand, or just ignorance. Because here, here he goes, we were really transparent from the beginning of the year that oh this was God. an issue of concern to us <laughs> and that things needed to change. That's why we were collecting information. We were clear in the March memo we sent out. If things didn't change, there was going to be discipline around the owners' meetings. There was a ton of publicity around the fact that things had not changed. In fact, they had gotten worse. So, right, okay, you said in your March memo that if things didn't change, there would be discipline. But this isn't discipline. This is a changing of the rules and completely changing over something because the 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 way he says it makes it you know more of the implication that they were just going to start to enforce it which is what they kind of did at the beginning of the year with the guys you know they were sending in hats and things like that to check for foreign substances but that was really hard to prove because how are you going to prove on Wednesday that somebody had something on his hands on Tuesday so then they they've stepped it up to these in-game checks by the umpires that can be called on by the opposing team's manager and it's it's been a disaster of a rollout so far granted it is a a thing that they definitely want to get their hands on and you know and want to get under control to make baseball seem a little a a little pure from the the pitching standpoint but this rollout has not been effective or smooth for the mlb mlb it's uh it's as bad Uh, okay i'll i'll what is worse, uh, what's happened with this foreign substance deal or the new All-Star Game uniforms that have been revealed? Mm, uh, oh, my God. If you haven't seen them yet, Google it. Terrible. I don't Terrible. I don't hate the jersey from, like, an alternate, like, shirt design idea. Exact, but, I mean, it's not great. But, it, like, as far as, like, something that could be sold in, like, the team shop... Maybe that would be something that some people would be interested in buying, but I don't think it's going to sell any as far as the All-Star game. The hats, to me, are just stupid. They've got like the, the it's got like a purple star to, is it because of the mountains of the Rockies? Yeah, well, yeah, and then right. the, you put the logo of the team over there. And I, I don't know. It, it always, I think it always looks cool when the guys wear their, their uniforms in the game. Right. That's a cool, exactly. that's a cool look. You got, and baseball's not as, you know, not as crowded of a sport, so you don't really need like the super distinction of people. Everybody knows who the base runner is and who's you know playing in the field and things like that. So no, I don't think they needed specific uniforms for the All Star game. Just throw the All Star patch on it and put those on the the website for an extra an extra price tag. There you go, there you go. You can get some of your profit. But that's the thing with baseball right now is everything from the top at least just seems like another way to make money. Oh, we've partnered with Bitcoin while everything's happening with all the. This. Rob Manfred hasn't talked to anybody in a year, but no, Major League Baseball has partnered with Bitcoin, and that's supposed to be a big announcement that we were all excited for. It mm. just goes back to that, that yeah, it's all just revenue streams. So I guess that's what these jerseys are, but no, they're not. Uh, they're not doing it for me. Not good at all. Just not good at all. Uh, it's been a, it's been a bad year for Rob Manfred, uh, and it's only getting worse. Uh, I Is there ever a good year for him? No, there there has not been. There really hasn't. So, yeah, there you have it. We're, I don't know. This is something I'm definitely going to keep an eye on to see how pitchers start to react. Maybe they'll start to get a, a little more used to it. He even said, like, they tried to make it as unobtrusive as possible, and it's supposed to be in between innings. But like you said, it's it was during an inning for Max Scherzer. So I, I don't know 
what they're going to do. But I, I guess there has been no ejection, so maybe it's working at least to keep the foreign substances off the baseball. We're getting to the elite of the elite today in PFF's top 50 players. We break down 20 through 11. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Feel unappreciated. Things not working out the way you imagined. Bad news. Sometimes life sucks. Good news. We don't. The fan. Ohio's sports destination. A former country club tennis pro and a high school baseball player. Don't be too impressed. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. Second hour, Rothman and Ice here on a Thursday. No Rothman, no Ice, Chops and Jensen Lewis hanging out with you today and tomorrow. In that update, Jensen, uh, Reeser mentioned that Rick Carlisle, he's been hired yeah. as the, the head Back coach of the, the Pacers. Pacers. Yeah, um, so he was with the Mavs. This I thought was interesting. I saw this from Tim McMahon, who covers the NBA for ESPN. So this is a, a Rick Carlisle quote on the Mavs. Quote, it's hard to put an exact finger on it. It's just a feeling that I had that it would be mutually beneficial. My hope is that Jason Kidd will be the next coach of the Mavs because he and Luca have so many things in common as players. He said, uh, continued, I just think that it would be a great situation for Luca, and I think it would be an amazing situation for Jason. I'm the only person on the planet that's coached both of those guys and that knows about all of their special qualities as basketball players. I thought that was really interesting. He sounds... you know, a lot of times you hear mutually parting ways or whatever's going on with like a coaching thing and you don't really believe it, but it sounds like he still really cares about the Mavericks and, and wants what's best for them and is interested in the improvement and the ongoing career of Luka Doncic and then throwing out a, a guy who's bounced around to a few teams being a head coach since, since his playing days, but also was a good player for the Mavs and Jason Kidd. I just thought that was a, a cool thing for Rick Carlisle to put out there and it sounds like really no, no uh, hard feelings to toward the Mavs right now. Yeah, and I think the the Mavs just trying to find uh, maybe a new direction there, and and obviously what what Jason Kidd has uh, been able to do on that staff uh, that makes a lot of sense uh, to kind of keep some continuity uh, at least within the organization that way. But uh, yeah, let's run it back uh, for the Pacers and and Rick Carlo. I think I saw a picture of the old suits. Uh, um, what uh, 10 15 years ago throw those he, on he was there golly that was, man that's a blast like, from the past remember like the suits uh from like lebron's era of like the nba draft <laughs> yeah. and how big those pants were and michael I mean, jordan's era too when you oh, yeah. such the high button on the suit coat oh yeah well, jordan's funny too because he's one of those celebrities that just like stopped caring about fashion when he got famous and like he like he cared about it but like he still wears like things from the 90s and he's still got like big jeans on and everything so uh yeah michael jordan could yeah he could just show up and be ready for for the late 90s early 2000s look i think rick carlisle is updated a little bit but you're right if he still has those suits he should wear one to to one of the games that would be quite the look out there in indianapolis yep Continuing our discussion all week of PFF's top 50 players today, they released numbers 20 through 11. First thing that jumped out to me, and we'll get to what our projections might be for the top 10, because as it whittles down, it's I think it's we might be able to guess the 10, but we, sure. we, we should be able to get pretty close. Either way, no quarterbacks today. So there have only been three quarterbacks in the top 40. Crazy. That says to me there's going to be uh, at least three Ton. in the top 10. And uh, I just... Yeah, and I just go back to like, hey, you guys said that you weren't, you know, taking positional importance into this, and it's, <laughs> like, couldn't you have sprinkled some of these quarterbacks in the in the top fifteen or you know something? But no, there there's going to be a bunch of them, presumably in the top ten. But we'll have to see that tomorrow. As far as today's list, numbers twenty through eleven, uh, t- 
Tyreek Hill comes in at number 18 as another wide receiver on the list. And he's a guy, they also were saying they're basing this on production. He's a guy who's, yeah, always going to have good production as long as Pat Mahomes is under center for him. I think there's, again, we were talking about how Russell Wilson yesterday is at 22 and how he was not a top 20 guy. I thought that was some blasphemy right there. I did, I did not agree with that. Uh, Tyreek Hill, uh, very interesting, uh, that, uh, he's at 18, uh, considering that, uh, he and De- are, are they interchangeable? Let me ask that. Is DeAndre Hopkins and Tyreek Hill, I mean, does it matter, uh, that, that DeAndre is, is one spot ahead of Tyreek Hill? I mean, I kind of feel like, you stick those guys on on any team, and and they're going to impact the game right. uh, about about the same way. So I, I don't know if uh, there could have been a tie there or not, but you kind of feel those guys are interchangeable because if you go all the way back down to thirty five, that's Julio Jones, and and then thirty four is Allen Robinson. So um, when you look at at the receiving core, and, and I think we're we're assuming Devonte Adams now is is probably uh, going to be in that top ten. Uh, if you've got DeAndre at 17. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Pat Mahomes, uh, does he need uh, extra weapons? No, but he's going to have it. And to think that Tyreek Hill led all receivers last season, uh, what, 20-plus air yard targets? Uh, and it feels like he covers five yards with one stride. <laughs> so how fast he is. But uh, what an impact guy, definitely deserving of that ranking. Yeah, and then you mentioned DeAndre Hopkins comes in at number 17, just one ahead of him. And then we're starting to get in some of these elite defensive players. You've got uh, Jalen Ramsey of the Rams. He comes in at number 16, but just two spots ahead of him. You've got Jair Alexander of the Packers at number 14. So kind of, you know, they've got a guy in between them, another Packers player, tackle David Bakhtiari for the Packers. Uh, He's at number 15. Quarterbacks for me, I feel like you got to just – Go with what PFF says because cornerbacks sometimes are so hard to evaluate because if they're good, they don't really get a chance to do anything that you see when you're watching the game because they're just guarding a guy and they just got it locked down. The, the ball's not being thrown their way. Maybe they'll they'll get a pass break up in there. But yeah, these these super elite guys sometimes you you forget about them if you're not paying too close attention to a game because they're just that good. And Jalen Ramsey and uh, Jair Alexander are definitely in that group. Yep, definitely are. Uh, what you like about uh, Jalen Ramsey, uh, just as one of the best shutdown corners in the game. Uh, let's see, uh, allowed eleven or fewer receiving yards in eight games. So half the season last year. So yeah, I mean that's a what a catch or two against him. That yeah, that sounds pretty good for half half of your work. You only allowed a guy to get a catch or two per game, and then in eleven of the sixteen games, twenty two yards or less. Uh, I mean that's. Game changer is an understatement. Yeah. Uh, just take away, take away half the field, uh, and and that's basically what he's done for the Rams defense. Because you know, yeah, we were just talking about guys like Tyree Kill and DeAndre Hopkins. Well, if you're going up against a team that has a cornerback like Jalen Ramsey, you might lose the production of your top wide receiver, and then you're looking at at the rest of it. Luckily for the Chiefs, as we uh, were talking about the top ten, I think they're going to have another pass catcher in the top ten. We'll get to that in just a second. Going down here, you've got guard Zach Martin. Lots of respect for a guard. I wouldn't expect to see a guard come in this high, but the Cowboys have had that good offensive line. It's been banged up a little bit more in recent years, but Zach Martin has been just a, a big piece in that, uh, and he there he goes at number 13. Derrick Henry comes in at number 12. I was actually expecting him to be a top tenner. Yeah, I agree. When he hadn't shown up yet, I thought he was going to be in the top 10. But, uh, I mean, are there going to be any running backs ahead of him now? Like, 
already done Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara. Yeah, I don't think you could Dalvin put Zeke ahead of him. Yeah, I, I don't um, think. Let's see. No, I don't think there's going to be a tailback no. ahead of him. So that, that to me, that's probably the last running back on the list, topping out at number twelve. And then you've got T.J. Watt of the Steelers, who just uh, likes to spend time in the backfield at at defensive end for the. Uh, for the Steelers, and he's probably going to have another good year. He might be the brightest spot on the Steelers this year. I don't know what to make of them. I don't think they're going to finish. I don't know. Who's going to finish last in that division, the Bengals or the Steelers? It really just depends on Ben's arm. Can Ben's arms stay up to task all season long, or is his elbow just going to give out? A re, you know, like a like a Drew Brees situation where it just, oh, he just can't make the throws he wants to make. So... If I was a betting man, I would say the Steelers are going to finish last in the division this year. That's what I'm going to throw out there for you. Wow. Wow. I uh, like and, and, Joe Burrow. I believe in okay. Joe Burrow. Wow. Uh, I think that is that's a, that's a pretty bold call. Uh, I'm not going to lie, uh, Mark. I think that is bold. Uh, the, uh, well, that's listen, what we I'm, like to do. Bold calls that have no repercussions <laughs> if you're wrong. That's what we like to do here. You know, the, the, this division, too, and I guess we're all we're all kind of waiting to see, you know, does um, – who's the running back from Alabama? Uh, that uh, uh, Najee that, Harris. Yeah, so let, let's, let's see what Najee Harris can do because, let's face it, uh, you know, Big Ben did not have any semblance of a consistent running game last mm-hmm. year. Uh, the the effectiveness of that receiving core with with Juju kind of falling off at the end that that is a that is a fascinating team because if they do put it together from from a running game standpoint he's still as good as any quarterback of of being able to stay in the pocket being able to elude defenders being able to make quality throws oddly uh, enough is, you know what can help them is play action and they're like the least they are statistically over like the last like three or four years. They run the least play action of any team in the NFL, and that that that, that surprises me. But year. I think it's I yeah. will. I think it's I think Ben doesn't like to put his back to any sort of charging well, that's defender. True. Okay. So yeah, that that's a good point. But yeah, maybe if they get a little bit more out of, out of Najee Harris, he'll feel a little bit more comfortable with that, and they can get some of that, and that opens up the downfield passing, obviously, which is something that Ben has excelled at over his career, but. It remains to be seen whether it's still there. Okay, so that's that's numbers 20 through 11, or at least most of them there. 20 was uh, Fred Warner of the 49ers. 19 was uh, Chris Jones of the Chiefs. Now we've got the top 10 left. I think we can peg the who the, the 10 are going to be. I think we can get there. We but, know the three, the three quarterbacks would be obviously Mahomes, Brady, and Rodgers. I think for, there's three. I think for sure, yeah, those three are going to be in there. Is Lamar Jackson going to be in there? <sighs> Because he hasn't shown yeah. up on this list yet, you you have to he think might be, he, he might has be to be 10. In, in the top fifty, right? <laughs> he, he might be number ten. Yeah. yeah. So I think Lamar. Jack- so that's four quarterbacks that are already double more than doubles the amount of quarterbacks already on this list. But I just can't see a way where you can you know put Dak Prescott coming off of his exploded ankle in at number fifty and not put in Lamar Jackson who has already won an MVP in this league. So yeah, I think those four quarterbacks. I think then you've got uh, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. Uh, to me, that seems like that's probably pretty likely. Those are the two best tight ends in the league, and neither of them have made the list so far unless they're just not respecting tight ends, which is why they need tight end university. But I, I think that those two will make it. So that's six, right? That would make six. I'm, I'm just Aaron Donald through. makes seven. <laughs> yeah, yep. 
Okay. Uh, Who else see. would be out there? Well, Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams. That makes eight. All right. We've got two more. There's got to be a pass rusher, right? Well, we had Aaron Donald. I guess Aaron Donald. Yeah, he counts as a... Yeah. Is there another pass rusher you could... I'm still, I'm still absolutely floored that Russell Wilson is not top 20. I still can't believe that. But a guy like... Um, because like Von Miller's not in the top fifty, but he's getting yeah. old, so I don't think he's. Sean Watson won't be in there. No. no. Does the Does Stephon Diggs? There's There's an outlier for you. No, he was all the way. He was. Was he already on? Yeah, he was. Okay. Uh, he was in the forty or okay. the fifty through forty one. Gotcha. He was okay. He was number forty five. Yeah. So all you right. you you are forgiven because you weren't here that day. So. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, I don't know. Okay, I think we're we're comfortable with nine of the ten. And and let's be surprised tomorrow when yeah. when we're gonna look back like how did we not guess? There's probably gonna be is there gonna be like a left tackle or something that like you know I mean we I'll know the oh, name yeah. probably when I read it but it's hard for me to just pick Thank that you. out and yeah but we'll see what the top ten is tomorrow and we'll we'll complete these top fifty players in PFF's list. It's uh, really been an interesting thing to go through. I'm still. Derrick Henry being number 12, just, yeah, that says to me that there's definitely not going to be a top 10 tailback, which... No, uh, definitely not. That's a shame. I, I like I like a good tailback on a good NFL team, but we'll move on. The NFL's also moving on. They've opened up bidding to change the location of the Underwear Olympics. Rothman and Ice right here on The Fan. Radio. It opens your mind to stimulating conversation and live sports. And best of all, it still costs zero dollars. The Fan, Ohio's sports destination. Hey, they both like to go to raves with the Bosa brothers. Here's Rothman and Ice. Rothman and Ice, Chops and Jensen Lewis hanging out with you today. The Signature Cabinetry Fan Golf Classic presented by Delta Dental of Ohio and Logan AC and Heat Services takes place Monday, July 12th at Kinsale Golf and Fitness Club. It all benefits the Buckeye Cruise for Cancer and the James Cancer Hospital. Register your foursome now at 971thefan.com. All right, we're going to get to the uh, combine news here, Jensen. But somebody did tweet in during the break, and there was a name that we've left off, and okay. it has not been in the top 50 so far. Okay. And we said that we thought, oh, if Derrick Henry's at number 12, that's probably the last tailback. What about a Nick Chubb top 10 sighting in wow. the PFF top 50 players? So you're basically saying he's the best running back in the league. That's what it, I, I, I Yeah, that's how I would read it. I mean... <laughs> To me, it's oh. weird because it's like, hmm, what's more likely that he's in the top ten or he's not in the top fifty? And I feel like it's he's in the top ten. He he feels like a guy who could be in that that top fifty for sure. So if he's not in that, if he's not in the top, you know, the 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 second forty, I guess after the first ten or whatever, however you want to say it. I mean, probably. I don't know. Man, That'd be some high pra- again. I mean, uh, I'm biased being up here in Cleveland, but I think he's as as good as any back in the league. But boy, you put him over Derrick Henry. Yeah, that w- I mean, that would certainly wow. be something for him and uh, a testament to what they think of the Browns. Because you think about the Browns, their roster is so good right now, and they've had no offensive players on this. They've had Joe Johnson or John Johnson and uh, Miles Garrett on there on the defensive side of the ball, but no offensive players. And they, you know, people are constantly talking about how well their roster is made up. And sometimes that doesn't mean that it's all super elite players, but you'd, you'd think maybe one of those offensive guys could sneak on. And I think Nick Chubb is the, is the best candidate for that. So again, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll have that for you tomorrow, whether or not Nick Chubb is the 
I would think that I, then there couldn't be another running back on the list. So I would think that would, yeah, put Nick Chubb as the highest rated running back by pro football focus. We'll have to see. Mm-hmm. Going to be fun to see tomorrow, man. Looking forward to it. Another thing you'll get to see is the Combine out of Indianapolis. Not this coming year. It will be in Indy for maybe the last time in 2022. It's been there every year since 1987. But the NFL has opened up bidding for cities to uh, host the Combine starting in 2023. And this just goes along with the the NFL, and they just want everything to be an event. They want you to watch. They want you to go. They want everything to seem like the coolest thing ever. And it the draft has worked out really well for them. I And I don't know. Maybe I say this every time they go for something like this, and it just keeps on working out because the draft has worked out really well. But the draft was always an event that fans went to and was, it was a cool thing to go to. My guess is if they're looking to make this a traveling circus of these players working out for this job interview, that they're going to try to make it some sort of fanfare thing too it wouldn't make sense to spend the extra money to send these guys to los angeles if you weren't going to maybe try to get some other people to go out there as well so that's what i see but uh, man i know people will go but you couldn't pay me well you could pay me i guess if i had to go for work i would go to the combine but i it's just not something i'm interested in going to see as a fan but i know people would go do you do you think that they make a dry run uh, of obviously the draft being in Vegas uh, coming up, do you think they take a, that? That's kind of the audition, if you will, to see. You know, uh, it's obviously an easy destination as far as uh, will people want to go and if they want to make an event. out Are of there it. enough hotels though for people to stay? Yeah, I think there'll be plenty. <laughs> I think there'll be plenty. I think we'd be good there. Uh, New York City, you know, it, that that just has been a draft capital mm-hmm. uh, for for so long. I don't know if they double up there. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense uh, for me, and you know, you don't have a dome. Uh, yeah, that, and there's not a lot can, of space there. That, yeah, you yeah. can really host that in because so Vegas. Vegas makes a lot of sense from a, a standpoint. If they're going to make it a fan event, you want to make it a destination event. And you want to attract people to want to come with. There's other things to do as well. To say, oh, I'm going to go to the combine for a day, and then I'm uh, going to go. You know, to Circa and and go to the stadium swim. Uh, I think there's a lot of yeah. and that's a lot of appeal. That's there. probably the big problem with Indy is Indy makes sense from a logistical standpoint. It's oh, central no question. in the country. It's easy to get to. It uh, it has plenty of hotels. The downtown is walkable. It's got the dome, as you mentioned, so, and it's you know there's plenty of stuff there. The doctors, all that, so they can do the the medical things as well. But Unless there's a big event like the Super Bowl or the big, I've been out there for the Big Ten title game, which is a lot of fun right around the stadium with the tailgating and they, they like loosen the open container laws on those days with those events. So that's a lot of fun. But for the combine, yeah, you're right. Un, you know, unlike, especially unlike a city like Vegas, it does not offer those extra amenities for things for people to do if they're coming out there. Cause the combine lasts like four days or whatever. So right. you're not going to just be watching guys running around in spandex the whole time. And most of those events are daytime, but they have talked about I guess this would also be the you know the furthering of their plan to make the combine prime time. Which man, yeah, I said uh, like I watch the combine sometimes because like I'm usually at work and you know we have the TVs here, turn it on, okay, we can see some results live every time I look up. But it is not going to be my prime time appointment viewing. I'm sorry, it's just not going to. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then I, there's just something about Indianapolis. Uh, again, I, I lived there for a couple of off seasons and uh, the accessibility. It's uh, it, it, a lot of great restaurants. Uh, there's still, uh, it, obviously, they hosted you know the the entirety of the NCAA tournament, so they've they've done this uh, plenty of times. It just feels, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be a, a little 
somber, I guess, uh, when when and if uh, they move it out of Indy. It just you, you always uh, are excited to see Lucas Oil and uh, all the uh, the head coaches and front office guys in their various loges and and Bill Belichick with his binoculars, you know, checking out uh, guys from uh, from up there. So. Um, you know, the NFL wants to make every single thing, as you said, uh, an event-based uh, idea. So we'll see. But I, I would strongly, I would strongly think that the draft upcoming in Vegas is a basically a dress rehearsal, maybe an audition, if they want to come back and, and do uh, the combine there as well. Yeah, I also heard that uh, Dallas could be. A, okay, an option yeah. for that because Jerry that. built that that new complex, the Star. It's got in, an indoor field. They've also obviously got their stadium, which is I think I read it's Great like a, it's like under forty miles away. There is a hotel on site at the Star, so that's where all the players could stay. So that's definitely one that could go. And Dallas has its you know its own flair and things to do. But in March, it still can be a little bit cold there. So yeah, I'd rather go out to to Vegas or L.A. for that one. I am being told, and I should have known this. I must have read it. Nick Chubb was at 37 on the list, so I think I was just getting excited that maybe Nick Chubb oh. could make the top 10. We had to have gone over that. CB's looking at me like, huh? Did I we? didn't remember that. I don't remember it either. <laughs> like, and I've been doing this every day. I don't know. The numbers are running together, but the dream of Nick Chubb being the number one tailback in the NFL. And I mean, still, he's in the top 50. So that's what... the. My theory was correct that he is he's either going to be in the top 50 or the you know if he's he wouldn't be outside of the top 50. So I was correct on that. I just didn't remember what I had said just go. a few days earlier. So with, again, I'm looking forward to the top 10 and I think we've gotten most of it down. There will be one or two surprises on there I guess for us when we go over it tomorrow. Another tweet has been explained away due to hackers. More on that next. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Every time Common Man starts to yell, there's always a chance he strokes out. So that's something, I guess. Common Man and T-Bone. Weekdays from 3 to 6. The Fan. Insightful and thought-provoking sports conversation for your lunch hour. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. Rothman and Ice. Chops and Jensen Lewis hanging out with you today. So, every once in a while this happens on Twitter. Somebody says something that they maybe shouldn't have said. And granted, this one isn't even, you know, that bad in the grand scheme of things. It's just really getting a fact wrong. But uh, then they explain it away like, oh, I've been hacked and all this stuff. So, we'll start here. Jay Williams uh, works for ESPN, former basketball player, all the good stuff there. And he was uh, talking about the the Celtics hiring their new coach, uh I didn't have it written down here. It's Ime Udoka. Yeah, that's there right. There we go. I remembered yep. it. There we go. I, I realized as I was writing, I wrote down all <laughs> the other parts of it. Yeah, but it's Ime Udoka, who they hired uh, off the 76ers um, coaching staff. So Jay Williams quote tweeted one of that. This is now a deleted tweet, but he says, the first head coach of color for the Celtics, and even more importantly, is one talented individual who has paid his dues, which would be you know a, a great thing to point out and an awesome thing if it, if it were the Celtics' first head coach of color, but it's not. They actually, they hired the first non-white coach in NBA history when they named Bill Russell a player coach on April 16th, 1996. And even moreover, for about a decade, just a little bit ago, Doc Rivers was the head coach of the Celtics, and he won an NBA title with Boston. And over its 75-year history, they've also employed five total coaches of color, Russell Rivers, also Tom Sanders, Casey Jones, and M.L. Carr. So for Jay Williams, uh, you know, okay, a little, Oopsie. a little egg on your face. You didn't get that fact quite right, but it, it doesn't, 
you know, it doesn't uh, take away that it's awesome that Ime Odoka is going to get a chance to to lead the Celtics. So that's great. But no, he deletes the tweet and everything. Sure, you, you'd probably delete the tweet, but you know, having the Twitter following he has. A lot of people were calling it out. It was screenshot. It was still getting put out there. So he decides to go with the uh, the time honor tradition of telling everybody as it relates to the Boston Celtics tweet that came from my account a couple of hours ago. I did not post that, and my passcode has now been changed. So he was he was hacked, and somebody posted a, a strange fact. Okay, so when it comes to these, I like to look at it first from it's true. Okay, let's say it is true. His account was hacked. His Twitter was hacked. And here he is posting this incorrect fact. What a genius troll job that would be to post something that's kind of innocuous but incorrect ultimately that makes you either look either look stupid or wrong or just whatever. And, but it's not like brazen enough for people to believe that, well, of course you just posted it. It's just your Twitter. You, you got a fact wrong. And that, to me is if you're really just going to be like a hacker troller, that is a genius move by me. So if I'm taking this as the, as the truth at first, I think whoever did hack him, if that is truly what happened, is a genius and one of the best trollers we've ever seen online. This is, uh, this is just one of those times where it would have been so much easier to tell the truth. <laughs> and I know, we, I know we'll do that right. uh, in, in the 2 o'clock hour, but this is... <laughs> What was he thinking? You know, I mean, you you got to know, especially if you're an analyst and you're a basketball guy, you had to know that as soon as it went out or or not doing due diligence before you sent it out, I mean, obviously a couple of mistakes here, but just apologize. Just say, you know right. what? I made, made a mistake. He would have been fine. We would have moved on. I just did the last segment. I was like, oh, I actually forgot. Nick Chubb was actually Chubb. number 37. I didn't try to yeah. say, that wasn't Chubb saying it could be Nick Chubb in the top 10. This microphone was hacked. I should have gone that route. Then everybody would think I'm so smart. Just say you're sorry. I, I messed up. <laughs> what do they say in the hangover? I fudged up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh gosh! Uh, yeah, I mean, again, uh, and and Jay Williams has done a really good job uh, in his in, in his position there, both on the college side and then helping out with the draft and the and the lottery. Uh, but just just say just say what it was. It's just like it's comical to think that really, Jay, somebody hacked your Twitter, and the yeah. only thing they posted was a quote tweet of the Celtics hiring a new coach and Bingo. you getting a fact wrong that it was the Bingo. first head coach of color for the, why would why would anybody do that why would anybody waste their time it, like yeah it's okay to make a mistake just just fess up say ah oh, i got that fact wrong i was thinking of something else and it just ah, i got mixed up in my head and i you know twitter moves fast sometimes you post things and do you ever do that are you ever tweeting and you you, you compose a tweet and you're like yeah okay i i like it and this is yeah we got it and you tweet it and then immediately after and it doesn't happen until you hit send you think of a better way to have say to <laughs> say what you were trying to say <laughs> yeah exactly i hate uh, that there well uh, so during during games, you know, I'll I'll be selective about what I'm going to say or or what I'm I'm tweeting out, and uh, I, there's a love hate relationship I have with the Minnesota Twins, okay, and their fan base. So this was a couple of years ago, and I I quote tweeted or I took a, a screen grab of the standings when the Indians, I think they were had been 13 games out, and they had come all the way back. I think they mm-hmm. they either walked off the Twins or or they had just beaten them and they were a half game ahead in first place. 
So I take a screen grab of the standings and I tweet buy at <laughs> twins. Buy like buy twins. We'll see you yeah. later. It was the last day the Indians were ahead of the Twins in the standings in first place. Mm. You would have thought. You would have thought I committed a capital crime with with <laughs> my mentions, what they were after that for weeks. There's still to this day. I have. I have. Speaking of trolls, uh, and, and Twins trolls are some of the worst. Uh, they're absolutely annoying. And well, what else are they going to do up in Minnesota? I guess no baseball during the summer. It's nice at that time, but in the winter, that's probably when they 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 probably plan it all during yeah. the winter so i owned it i i was there i just i think i had to go check mark this is hilarious i i and again just with normal if like if you have stupid stuff you're gonna say uh to me on twitter i'm gonna mute you i'm not gonna give you the satisfaction of blocking you so i think i had gone and looked uh a week or two ago i'm gonna see how many i'm gonna see how many of let's see here we go yeah <laughs> Um, I wanted to see how many accounts I have muted. Wild guess, okay? I think I got like 24,000 followers, something like that. All right, if you had to take a wild guess of how many accounts I've muted from the time, from my inception of the account on Twitter to present day, wild guess, how many how many accounts do you think I've had to mute? Are, would they mostly be Minnesota Twins accounts? Uh, there's, a, there's a healthy amount, yes. I'm not going to say half. I would say about a quarter. I'd say about a quarter. Let's go with uh, 1,200. Is that okay, too high? 4,879. 4, wow. 4,879. There you go. You could have just told them all you were hacked. I didn't uh, yeah, say right. that about the twins. <laughs> exactly. That's the perfect excuse. You can just you can just do that every time. So oh. yeah, Jay Williams, just a little bit of egg on his face. And that's it just makes you look worse when you try to go the hacked route. That's the biggest issue with it. I agree. It, it's just a, a bad look. Just it's fine. Everybody makes you know, a, a factual mess up. And it's it's not that big a deal in the long run. Just just fess up to it because I just, yeah, the idea that somebody would hack you to post that just uh, doesn't fly with me. Uh, something else I saw today, and here I'm going to pull it up because I saw this from Pro Football Focus College, and it was going over the top 10 hardest schedules in college football this Ooh, year. And okay. I, I wanted to, I wanted to go through this real quick just because, uh, there's one thing that I, that I think is a reason why some teams are landing on here. Arkansas is number one. There's, it's always littered with SEC teams because of the way the SEC schedule sure. is and right. everybody. Yeah. But there's three Big Ten teams. Nebraska is number two. Purdue is number four. And Indiana, Indiana is number seven. What do those three Big Ten teams have in common? They all have Ohio State. They all have Ohio State on their schedule this year. So in Nebraska, at least Nebraska and Indiana, at least get uh, Ohio State at home. But Purdue has Ohio State on the road here in in Columbus. So that's uh, something to always keep an eye on when you're looking at these tough schedules. Is like it means something, but especially in college football, it sometimes just comes down to, oh, do they have one of those major elite teams on their schedule? Like I said, you see Mississippi State on here at number six, Auburn at number eight, Ole Miss at number nine. It's all just the teams that have to play Alabama. You know, it's just the entire <laughs> SEC uh, West there. So that, the same thing happens. For Ohio teams that have to play Ohio State, and you got three Big Ten teams, according to Pro Football Focus, in the top ten hardest schedules next year. Yeah, and looking at, interestingly enough, since we've been talking about the combine, we obviously know that the, the Big Ten title game will be in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil. Uh, no surprise, Ohio State uh, projected to have at least ten wins and, and be there. Uh, I think people would be shocked to know that Iowa and Wisconsin 
according to uh, Pro Football Focus College. Iowa and Wisconsin would be the two top contenders uh, to go against uh, Ohio State, or at least to have a shot to supplant them. And number four is Indiana. Are we surprised? Are we surprised that that would be the top four in, in the Big Ten as far as projecting out? The biggest question mark to me is, is 2020 just going to be a blip year for Penn State, and are they going to be back? Yeah. Or are they in a mode where they're trying to figure things out? They they never figured out their quarterback situation last year, but if they do figure it out coming into this year, I think Penn State can easily jump up to number two behind Ohio State, and that's yeah. where they've been most of the time since like the Urban Meyer era started. This will this will really be interesting uh, as we get closer and, and you know the quarterback competition. I think we'll probably put C.J. Stroud. Let's just say C.J. Stroud ends up being mm-hmm. your, your starting quarterback. Uh, when you look at when you look at that Thursday night opener, we talked about it last night. It'll be 100 percent capacity. Do, do you think that it would be smarter to take Minnesota now with the points to cover at home? I mean, that essentially you got they have their their game of the year is their opener. And and to know that this will be the first time that really C.J. Stroud has had to deal with expectations and responsibilities and all that uh, from a betting angle, do you take do you take right now Minnesota plus the points and then maybe try and middle that thing uh, as you get closer? I'm going to say no because I think C.J. Stroud will react okay. well to one. You're at Ohio State. You're ready for it no matter what. But we've got the two returning tackles. Nicholas Patet Ferrer and Thera Munford out on the outside protecting them. You've got the two best receivers returning in the country and by far the best receiving duo in the country for guys to throw them to and a stable of running backs. So I think C.J. Stroud's going to have enough around him that the bright lights of Minneapolis aren't going to be too much. But uh, maybe now I'll get Minnesota people hating me on Twitter. We'll have to see. (laughs) Ohio State, they're no stranger to being the favorite in games, and this year won't be any different. That and more in today's Buckeye Bulletin next. Rothman and Ice right here on The Fan. Always imitated, never duplicated. Your heritage sports talker and flagship home for Ohio State athletics. The Fan, Ohio's sports destination. Rothman and Ice present Buckeye Bulletin. Sponsored by Logan AC and Heat Services. Don't go through another air conditioner breakdown. For fast, friendly service, call the experts at Logan Services now. Now for a free estimate and next day air installation. Chops and Jensen Lewis here on Rothman and Ice today and tomorrow. Buckeye Bulletin for today. You were mentioning, ah, should you lay the points for Ohio State, or the opposite, lay the points for, for Minnesota uh, going into that, that opener. Well, that's not one of the marquee matchups according to Kyle Rowland here, but if you are looking to bet on Ohio State, it's going to be some tough sledding this entire year. They are double-digit favorites in all four of their marquee games in 2021, according to Sports Betting AG. They're minus 10 versus Oregon right now, minus 11 at Indiana, minus 10.5 versus Penn State, and minus 11.5 at Michigan. Jensen, which one of those would you be most likely to take? All right. <clears throat> Um, this is without seeing C.J. Stroud at quarterback. Um, it's tough. Indiana, <laughs> Indiana always finds a way. They always find a way to make it so difficult. Even when they're not good. <laughs> I Wow, 10.5 at home against Penn State. And when do they play? They play Penn State uh, later in the year? Yeah, like October uh, 20... Is that last the Penn State game October, is October right? 30th. Yeah, okay. So last weekend in October. Halloween weekend. 
Oh, yeah. All right. I think 11 is always a, a curious number. Um, I would t- I would take the 10.5 against Penn State. 10.5 against Penn State. Well, there you have it. That game, I, man, if that one, I know they don't like to do them as it gets later, but October 30th, I love it. When you get the night game and you get the yeah. the students showing up in their costumes yep. on a Halloween weekend, that would be awesome for a Penn State game. And we could how about how about this one? Let me. I, I just happened to pull up some opening weekend uh, lines in some of these early Big Ten. Let me give you a couple of these. Okay. These are interesting. All right. So Penn State. Speaking of Penn State, uh, they're going to open it at noon against Wisconsin in uh, in in Wisconsin. They're four and a half point dogs. Which one do you like there? Mm, that's another they're they're both kind of on that like what happened last year right at least wisconsin looked good some of the time i guess penn state figured it out a little bit at the end of their season graham mertz though with another year and a true full off season i think he has it is it in madison you said yeah it's in madison yeah and i would take wisconsin i'd lay that okay. was it four and a half i'd lay yeah, that. four and a half yep uh northwestern at home against michigan state northwestern laying seven and a half i like Michigan State and, and what wow. they're what they're okay. doing right now. So right. I, Northwestern, they've got the defense. Can they get the offense going? They were not scoring very many points down the stretch at yeah, the end of the Michigan year. State. So that might be an under. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and, so to get to that number, you have to you have to score points. And I think Michigan State will find ways to score. So no, I'm going to take Michigan State plus seven and a half on that one. Okay. Couple of a uh, couple of marquee opening week matchups. How about Georgia and Clemson? That's in Charlotte. Ooh. That's a playoff Clem- matchup Clemson. right there, basically. Yeah, that, the playoff implications week one. So Clemson favored by three and a half. I think you got to go with Clemson. I saw enough wow. out of DJ Uyunglele okay. last okay. year in the Notre Dame game that I think they can win. And if they win, right. it'll it was three and a half, so it has to be a little bit more than a field goal, but I think they'll do it. Uh, LSU going out to UCLA. Uh, LSU favored by four. Well, I got to love the home dog there, right? You want to say LSU. You think, oh, LSU's better than UCLA, but then you remember, man, they were trash last year. And, you know, was it just Joe Burrow and Joe Brady out, you know, one flash in the pan year, both of them now gone. Ed Orgeron, you know, basically flipped his entire coaching staff because he's he's doing the Harbaugh method where you just say, ah, no, none of it's working. It's it's the other coach's fault. We're going to flip it. Well, for him, none of the coaches are working. We're going to flip all the coaches. We're going to good. Los Angeles. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. <laughs> um, That's pretty good. But I, I don't know anything about UCLA, so I guess I have to go with LSU. Okay. All right. Uh, I don't think I see any other big ones up right now. Again, we'll probably get some more lines here in the next month. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. I, I mean, no surprise here about uh, Ohio State double digits and and some of those more key matchups. But again, I I would have to say with sight unseen on, on CJ Stroud, I need to see him play uh, in that Minnesota game before I would put my uh, as uh, Ar would say your uh, hard earned <laughs> Benjamins uh, soft earned soft earned yeah yeah soft yeah. yes. Some more from the Buckeye Bulletin. Pepper Johnson, former Ohio State linebacker, former NFL. He is, uh, he's saying at least, he's IMG Academy's new head football coach. Oh, wow. He revealed on his Twitter account Wednesday morning that he has accepted the job at IMG. Johnson served as Acosta's defensive coordinator at IMG this past season. Acosta was the uh, former coach who, who left. He, uh, in, in the tweet, he says, my daughter just took a picture of the new national head football coach at IMG Academy, which like seems like a really weird, like proud dad. Like he's trying to wrap in like proud dad moment, but really he's just <laughs> bragging about himself 
getting a new job, but good for him. He was uh, here under Coach Earl Bruce. He lettered every year for the Buckeyes from 1982 through 1985, Pepper Johnson. He was, uh, I think he was, was he an XFL coach? For a period of time, he was. I think he that's was one of the XFL coaches. Yeah, that's ringing a bell. Okay. Also, Ohio State was reportedly a front runner for a 2022 defensive end, Wilfredo Abar. But the four-star defensive end from Connecticut's Cheshire Academy is reclassifying from 2022 into the class of 2021. He officially visited Ohio State earlier this month, as they've just been carrying on with tons of visits after making a trip to Stanford this past weekend. However, Abar announced his commitment to the Cardinal on Wednesday. So you look at that. I never really fault a kid. You know, you get to reclassify, and now you get to go to Stanford. I don't fault somebody for doing that. That's looking out maybe for your future beyond football as well. And, uh, yeah, instead of doing another year of high school, go out and live in, like, the sure. you know the, the Bay Area. I, I'd take that. I think Figure that's, it a, out. I think no that's question. pretty good. I, I would agree wholeheartedly with that. Absolutely. Got to do what's best for number one. Added in here, Abar's decision shouldn't be viewed as an indicator of what uh, JTT, Tui Mo Luau, I'm going to say it once a day, and then I'll, I'll know how to do it. Shouldn't be viewed as as what he's going to do. Ohio State would have added both of them to their roster, but it does mean that Tui Mo Luau is once again the only remaining high school recruit that the Buckeyes are still looking at to possibly add to their 2021 class. That is today's Buckeye Bulletin. <sighs> I have to do a sigh every time before I say the NCAA. The NCAA opts to put a Band-Aid on their giant wound. Will it hold up? Rothman and Ice on the fan. Most shows just skim the surface, but Rothman and I feel like the biggest story of the day deserves a closer look. It's time for A Deeper Dive. Sponsored by United Dairy Farmers. Miss filling up before gas prices went up? Get UDF's low price lock with U-Drive. Chops and Jensen Lewis filling in on Rothman and Ice here today and tomorrow. We're going to take a deeper dive into the latest happenings with the NCAA, which is always fun. But first... I, Jensen, I did want to update you on this. Off the top of the show, we were talking about, oh, have you ever had a dog at work? What would it be like to have a dog in the studio? Well, good news. CB pointed this out to me. According to the AP Planner Twitter, which has a blue check mark, so it has to be correct, tomorrow is Take Your Dog to Work Day. Oh, my gosh. Really? The, yeah, the 25th of June. <laughs> so we'll have to we'll have to take our dogs. I get, if you have a dog, you're already at home, right? So I guess your dog is already at work in the, in that sense. With us, do you have a do you have a pup at home? No pet, no pets for me. Mm. Uh, just too many, uh, too too on the go. That's would, true. Uh, never had one when we were kids too, because we were on the on the go as well. But uh, yeah, we've got a few around uh, around the area here for sure. Yeah, so I I don't know. Maybe I'll uh, I'll try to convince uh, Matt if that I can bring my. Uh, my, my puppy to work tomorrow that would be a disaster she'd be all over the place we can't even handle her at home she's going to different rooms she's trying i told you yesterday she's always trying to bury or maybe i told somebody else i don't know she's always trying to bury things she's like a, one of the you know one of those dogs that likes to dig but she's not always outside so right now we've got all we've got some boxes out and stuff and she's always trying to put her toys in there and then like 20 minutes later she goes back into the box and she's scraping at it and she, it's like your toy is right there it's not buried in the box it's just in the box whatever but yeah, she'd probably do that around here. NCAA President Mark Emmert, he has set a July target for interim rules to allow college athletes to be paid. So NCAA President Emmert said Wednesday the association is working on interim rules that will permit college athletes to earn money off their fame and celebrity by July. The rules would act as a bridge until there is a permanent solution. Quote, although permanent NIL rule changes by July 1st are unlikely due to the legal environment, you created the legal environment. 
We are working with divisional governance bodies to develop interim solutions that will fairly allow student-athletes to take advantage of NIL opportunities, regardless of the state in which they are enrolled, Emmert wrote. We told you yesterday, six states, Texas, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, and New Mexico have laws set to go into effect July 1st. Several others, including Ohio, have laws in the works right now and maybe hopefully could be ready by July. But instead, the NCAA is going to go out there and they're going to they're toss a little Band-Aid on this giant wound they have that is just like been you know at the forefront now for a couple of months and honestly should have been something ever since the who was ed o'bannon ever since that case when right. when he won that court case and it basically said oh you can't just like use these kids likeness and make money off this video game they should have known that this was coming and they probably have but they just they obviously just don't care they don't they just want to keep collecting their money and their checks from the ncaa basketball tournament and keep making money that way and they just don't care about making the nil stuff easier for anybody but really the stupidest thing about that is their solution to oh it's not right to use these kids use the kids likeness in the video game and make money off that their solution to that was to get rid of the video game the video game wasn't the wasn't the actual problem. It was just a an example of the problem that these kids should be allowed to profit off their own likeness. So the solution of getting rid of the video game didn't it just got rid of the video game. Didn't get rid of the problem. The problem's still there and here we are years later now, almost a decade later since the video game has been made and we're still dealing with it and now as states are coming out with their own laws which are laws that really just say the NCAA can't punish kids and take away their eligibility if right. they profit off their name, image, and likeness. They're going to go ahead and do a waiver for that. And to me, that's just the – there it is. You did it. That Just keep the way – the I read really the only reason it's a waiver instead of an actual change of rules is like it protects them more from lawsuits because like the waiver is just something you quickly put in place so it's not really something that can be – argued against in court because the the idea is that it's it's non-permanent anyway so that's why it's a waiver but like if this works out my guess would be they would eventually just promote the waiver to their actual rule maybe with a few tweaks that they can find out down the road but it it seems to me like we're almost there while it does look like a band-aid at the same time once they put this waiver i don't think they're ever going to be able to go back to the way it was and try to figure out the rules from there because now the laws be- become not important to it. If the NCAA just allows it, it's always been legal for kids to use their name, image, and likeness. It's just made them ineligible in the NCAA. If that if it doesn't do that, then they should be fine. So the specifics, um, so, so the, the bridge to July 1st and beyond, <clears throat> um, I mean, as you said, the two biggest things uh, that an athlete now will not be penalized uh, for profiting, but schools will have to post on their websites that quote written policy governing NIL prohibiting payments from boosters in exchange for athletic performance or attendance at that school. That's got to be up there. Like that written on somebody's website is going to stop yeah, a booster. I, I, and we so we said who's who's having a bad week? Rob Manfred's having a bad week. The <laughs> NCAA continues to have bad weeks, and and this. Uh, as we kind of alluded to yesterday, I mean, Ryan Day is right that you've got these six states already, uh, and, and they're in football. I mean, again, we're just looking at it from a football spectrum. They're in football powerhouse states, mm-hmm. and, and that will directly affect recruiting. It definitely will. So as this moves forward, um, <laughs> God, uh, Mark, uh, you, you would think that, all right, uh, the All-Star Game uniforms, who approved that, right? Who approved Mark Emmer to come out and just, as you said, put a Band-Aid on this and say, well, 
you know, the laws are in there, but we're not going to have any liability now. We're yeah. just gonna we're just gonna say, okay, uh, we've been we haven't been wrong, but we've been wrong, and we're gonna let you do what you want to do now, uh, and- because otherwise we'll have lawsuits uh, left and right. And the idea that they're still in there working on this and tinkering on it. Like I said, this has been something that they've had yes. to have had around their, at least their <laughs> thinking for almost a decade. And they just can't get it done. And then they're out there asking Congress to get a law on the books for them. And it's like a law that just says your rule doesn't count. Just change the rule. Just figure it out and change the rule. Why would Congress have more time to figure out a blanket way for kids to profit off name, image, and likeness than the NCAA. What are you doing right now? The basketball tournament's over for the year. Okay, you've got the College World Series. You're planning that. I'm pretty sure more than a couple of people work for the NCAA, and based on the amount of money they make off that basketball tournament, I bet they could maybe you know afford to hire some outside counsel and maybe come up with something. I just... I don't understand how they can continue to drag their feet, and that's why I've come to the conclusion that it's really just because they don't want to do the NIL stuff, and now they're going to do it in a waiver form, and it, every every piece of news with the NCAA just shows me how at least its current model is crumbling. Maybe the NCAA will be around in name for years to come, but the way it's formulated right now and the way it's set up is is slowly but surely being taken down and dismantling, and they're doing it themselves. Yep. Yeah, it really is. It's a sad state of affairs, and uh, you just wonder now, uh, as we get closer to football season, once um, you know, once these states continue uh, to get these laws uh, in the works and on the books, how it how it'll affect. We'll start to see those effects in the recruiting classes that begin, you know, this year, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's I think as as kids are going into their senior year. And and are really Georgia already at, has a thing set up for one of their incoming freshmen yep, come July. Yep. Yeah. Bingo. Yep. So we're already starting to see uh, how this has affected uh, some of the big time recruits for sure. If I'm Congress, the next time the NCAA comes, it's be like, well, you're that waiver uh, thing you did. That seems to work. Why don't you just stick with that so we don't have to write another law for you? Get uh, just get out of here, Mark Emmer. Just 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 tell him to buzz off. Uh, that's right. So with that. We're at a point where it looks like, especially, I mean, by July 1st, they're going to have no power to stop these states. And it looks like they're going to get this, you know, sort of waiver together themselves as well. So looking at it, what do you think of the NIL opportunities? As I've been reading up on it, you know, a lot of people think car dealerships and autograph signings and things like that. But those schools seem to me to be more partnering with things that help these kids really uh, capitalize on this through their social media because immediately like Ohio state already does this. They, they put out like kids uh, when they, when they sign their letter of intent, they put out the little profile picture and Oh, boom, this guy signed with Ohio state and they'll put the, the kid's Twitter handle on there. So then you immediately gain a bunch of followers because Ohio state fans just love to follow people on Twitter and they just, so bam, you, you, you get a flood of followers. So you already have those followers. But one of the more interesting things I saw from it was because especially of like the makeup of Instagram and, who takes in the content of Instagram and everything like that. A lot of female athletes actually have um, larger followings and better engagement than some of their their male athlete counterparts. And a lot of the women's basketball players uh, have found ways to have really, really strong followings on things like Instagram and Twitter. So 
that's when people always talk about, oh, it's just going to be football and basketball players. No, there's going to be lots of opportunities for people to make it. And social media is going to be a big one to promote whatever products they can as long as, you know, it falls into whatever the guidelines. I know they're trying to limit it. To, you know, they don't want kids promoting casinos, alcohol, tobacco, things like that. And that makes sense. But, I mean, man, if you've ever looked through Twitter or Instagram enough and see the hashtag ads or hashtag promotion ones. There's plenty of products out there that I think are going to fall in line with whatever the universities deem appropriate. They're going to have, uh, I, I think we're just, we're going to, we're going to be the tip of the iceberg because <clears throat> people are going to get creative, right? Universities are going to get creative. And it, again, it all goes back to recruiting. Like what package can be put together? Parts of the country, little niche environments that, that make sense for, for not only that school area, but also to create a whole nother ecosystem mm-hmm. where not only we, you, obviously you're selling as the, as, as a, a student athlete, you're going to be able uh, to profit, but you know the colleges and you know these uh, these universities are going to find ways to make it mutually beneficial uh and and they'll they'll be able to sell it they'll be able to market it and again i think we're going to see schools get very very creative yeah and i wonder if there's going to be ways you mentioned the schools being mutually beneficial like the kids and you see this with professional athletes that that do endorsements they'll they'll show up Say it's Nick Chubb showing up in some sort of endorsement. He'll wear like a brown jersey with just white numbers on it that, you know, sort of looks like a brown jersey, but it's not because it's not an official partner. But then you'll see other ones where it is like uh, the State Farm one. Is it it State Farm or Progressive? It's Progressive with Baker. It doesn't matter. That one's like officially in the Brown Stadium. So I think that one has like a Browns. They're they're probably a partner of, of that as well. So... When you see things like that, so I'm thinking like Ohio State. Ohio State has the huge agreement with Coca-Cola across their entire campus. So then you might get a point where, okay, yeah, you know, the the quarterback for Ohio State gets to do a Coke ad, but he also gets to wear the Ohio State shirt in it because of Ohio State's, you know, relationship with Coke. They get a cut of that ad revenue anyways, and then, bam, you get to throw up a... A poster, on, you know, on campus around Columbus, or you know, in magazines, in the newspaper, whatever, of a player like you know previously Justin Fields wearing an Ohio State sweatshirt and and holding a Coke bottle, and uh, he's not going to have the same pull that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo had. Did you see no. that? Oh my God, that was a huge thing. That was crazy. <laughs> Four billion dollars wow. lost for. I mean, it was off of a huge chunk of money because Coca Cola is a giant company. But yeah, just the idea that uh, you know, and that's the thing. Is like these people, these athletes have influence like that and can just drop something. But yeah, as back to my original point, the universities can work with their partners that they already have set up, work with their star players, put them in there, and then you can get you know promotion for the school, promotion for the player, and promotion for the product. Everybody's profiting. That's uh, as I said. I think this is that we're just at the beginning of of how this will change collegiate athletics period and it's not just the big football programs you know the basketball programs any any of these sports to gain an edge they'll find a way to market it and sell it and and the bidding wars literally the bidding wars will begin yes and uh for the people who think that oh this is gonna destroy recruiting as we know it, and the the schools with the most money just gonna get all the top recruits well they already do 
Look at look at recruiting rankings. Look at the top every year. It's the same teams, and it's the same teams that are going to the college football playoffs. So in my mind, I actually think it might change it a little bit more in the in the other direction because now there's a little bit more of an incentive. Instead of being a guy who's competing to, to break through at a place like Alabama or Ohio State, you might stay home and go to Indiana instead because you're going to be the big yeah. man on campus at right. Indiana. And if you're the big man on campus starting your freshman year, that's four year, four, three or four years of earning power for you versus – you might have to wait two more years until you're cracking the Ohio State two deeps. Bingo. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's a great point, and um, it, it's not it's not changing as you said. It's not changing recruiting as we know it. It is altering the mechanics mm-hmm. of how recruiting will be conducted, and and I think that'll be a key difference as as we see how these institutions really package uh, their opportunities and their and their offers. We're telling the truth next. Rothman and Ice right here on The Fan. One guy is fat. The other is fatter. And both are kind of stupid. Pretty much sums up the whole show. Uh-huh. Common Man and Tebow. Weekdays from 3 to 6. The Fan. Tell the truth with Rothman and Ice. Rothman and Ice, Chaps and Jensen Lewis sitting in with you today. CB is here. Let's do it. Okay, guys, I heard Bishop and Laura and I just talk about this this morning, but the teams that are going to get left out of this bidding war for the scouting combine are going to be teams that are in the northern markets that don't have domes, and I think they mentioned Cleveland as one of those teams. So I'm asking you, the Haslam family would probably love to get in on this. Do you think a dome could be in the future for the Haslam family as their ownership? I can tell you that that is not happening. And uh, <laughs> the the actual... Uh, renovations and things they're looking to do down by First Energy are more on the lawn uh, over by the uh, hotel. Uh, kind of create, it's not necessarily a sky bridge, but it's almost like a, uh, a, a walkway uh, with uh, things along uh, the path from the stadium to and from uh, downtown Cleveland. So I can tell you that the dome is nowhere near uh, a consideration or, or something that they've been talking about up here in Cleveland. Good, because I hope not. I like stadiums that look like stadiums, and they're becoming less and less of those in the NFL. They're all that like spaceship design now that we see. You know, you even you got to go back to all the new ones. Basically, like Jerry World is the last one that at least had the like kind of rounded out, like almost like blimp like look to it. And the one out in uh, Phoenix has that look to it as as well. And that's the closest you get on the dome ones. The ones they build now just don't even look like stadiums at first glance and you know because you look at college stadiums are so iconic and you see them and you you drive by them and you go there's the stadium and it just looks right so i'm happy that uh cleveland still has a normal stadium and i hope they they keep it that way and football should be played outside if football wasn't meant to be played outside then it would have been an indoor sport it's an outdoor sport play it outside you've got lake effect snow you've got the cold whatever's going on you should have that it's football in cleveland it's not football indoors. Just find out right now today is true. All right, let's play another game of are they telling the truth or are they lying? Because Devontae Adams said that the Rodgers situation is not something the Packers players talk about in the locker room. We mentioned this briefly yesterday, and I think we both agree, but I'll let you go after me. He's lying. Sure. Players have their own things to worry about. They want to make sure they're getting better at the things that the coaches give to them. They... Uh, they're you know they're trying to improve all this stuff but at the end of the day what is a team trying to do they're trying to win what gives the packers the best chance to win 
Aaron Rodgers playing quarterback. So there's no way that this question could be looming over the entire NFL and not be looming over what's going on in the Packers locker room. These players are definitely talking about it. Maybe it's not top of mind all the time, but it's definitely not something they're like that it gets brought up and they're like, oh, yeah, Aaron isn't here. I wonder what's going to happen to that guy. I don't even know if I can add anything more to that. I think we're pretty we're pretty <laughs> unanimous on it. it. It really is just PR 101. Uh, hard to, uh, I think you'd be hard to convince anybody, especially the players that are around him all the time and guys that uh, you know he really uh, has had a lot of trust with. So um, we we know that this is a fib. Uh, this yeah. is cover. This is uh, hey, move along. Nothing to see here. And we talked about yesterday how like Devonte Adams' like statement, like you could tell it was mostly a lie because it didn't even really make sense. Because he mentioned at one point he's like, when Aaron comes back, and then he was like, I hope this all you know gets resolved. And it's just like it's not a contract dispute or anything like that. Aaron's pretty adamant, and I don't want to play for the Packers again. So it's not something that's just going to be resolved at the you know the snap of a finger i guess we'll see a training camp if he doesn't show up and then we'll know for sure if if rogers is serious about not coming but yeah i it's definitely something the players have on their mind just remember it's not a lie if you believe it all right the drama around draft lotteries is always there we have it with the nba and the nhl so i want to ask you at some point do you believe that the nfl will adopt the lottery format i don't Um, i don't think so I don't think they need to. I think tanking in the NFL is a like front office thing, and it's it's through how, how they build up the team and, and make them so that they're not competitive. But the coaches and the players just want to do their best and, and win so bad that they kind of ruin it. I mean, you look at it, you think these teams are going to tank, and they end up winning a few games. Miami ended up with the like fifth overall pick after we all thought it was super obvious that they were tanking in 2019. And then the Jets, well... They ended up with the second overall pick, so they got pretty close to there. But who did they beat late in the season? They beat the Browns, who were a playoff team that looked really good at the end of the year. So, no, I don't think that it's going to be necessary to instill a lottery because there's even when teams try to tank, the actual team, the players and the coaches, they still figure out ways to ruin the plan anyways, and they look like they go out there and compete. And even in the NFL, the worst teams, it's not like they're getting blown out by 30 Every game, they're just lose. You know, they just lose consistently. Generally, sometimes there are teams that are that bad. And this, there's already enough intrigue. I mean, people have jobs just for the uh, the NFL draft. Like, that's all they do. It's all Mel <laughs> Kiper does. It's just the draft. So, uh, hard pressed for me to see because it is. It already is such a huge thing. It's already such a massive thing. Could you imagine they, how crazy people would go for the draft lottery of the NFL? Though that's. It, it would. I, I can see that angle, and I can understand why the question... They could hold is, it in a different city every year. Ah, uh, come to the NFL draft lottery. It's in Dallas this year. Mm. Yeah, because here's the thing. it's When you think about when you think about uh, how the NFL draft works, and, and this year is probably an outlier because Trevor Lawrence, and, and you can go back, uh, you know, Andrew Luck, like, can't miss, slam dunk. I uh, hate to say it, slam dunk, using the uh, NBA terminology. Um if that were the case every year, and it's not even the case each year with the NBA, uh, that there's a slam dunk guy that, to be first, I could see where that would draw some intrigue. CB, you got one more for us? The truth? It's overrated. I actually do have one for you. So the Raiders owner, Mark Davis, made some headlines because he was in a fender bender today, and he was driving a Mini Cooper. So I want to ask you, if you were in the wealth <laughs> to own a sports team, what type of car would you own? 
I'm not a huge car guy, so when I get these questions, I never really know what to say. There's not like a dream car out there. I like to be a little higher up, so I think I would go with some sort of really nice luxury SUV, probably a Range Rover or something like that. Those seem those seem pretty cool. I just don't think I'm a good enough driver to trust myself with a sports car and all that power and speed. So I, I think I'd be a little too nervous. And then if I'm nervous, then I'm just driving it like a normal car. And why would I drive a Lamborghini like it's a Honda Accord? So I think I'd have to go SUV on that one. Uh, I am going to be a James Bond. I'd be driving uh, an Aston Martin. Mm. And uh, speed limits would be uh, just opinions and optional. Just optional. All right. Just optional. We've told the truth. We'll tell the truth again tomorrow at 2.20. Up next, Mike Prada joins us for some more NBA talk. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Sports, conversation, and sometimes pure stupidity. Awesome, funny, random. Your home of the Buckeyes. The fan. Ohio's sports destination. If you're tired of hearing about Matty's high school baseball prowess, just wait five seconds until Anthony tells stories about his amateur tennis days. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Chaps and Jensen Lewis hanging out with you today. We're going to head out to the Bryant Heating and Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. We're going to talk to Mike Prada of Prada's Pictures, an NBA X's and O's newsletter. All right, so we just got this news, Mike, in the last 15 minutes or so. Chris Paul, he's activated. He's ready to go tonight. To me, the addition of Chris Paul to the Suns lineup, and I know they were close games in the first two, but the Suns already up 2-0. Kawhi is still out if the Suns win this one, they're obviously in the driver's seat being up 3-0. I feel like they are. Do you think that with Chris Paul, it becomes a, a pretty clear path to them to take control of this series? I do think that they're in a much better position, yes. Uh, you know, I, we all know in basketball, one plus one doesn't always equal two. And just because you add more talent you know, doesn't mean that it, it adds up to exactly the outcome that you'd expect. You know, But I do think that in particular just if you think about brass tactics, the Clippers relied on playing the pick and roll two on two in game two. They, they played a big man most of the time. You know, they decided to go big and kind of go away from their small lineup. I have a feeling that that's not what they would have done if Chris Paul was in the lineup. You know, we saw what Chris Paul did to the Nuggets when they tried to play two on two in the pick and roll. So just right there, that takes away from something that like really, honestly was pretty effective for the Clippers, even though they lost the game. So, just having Chris Paul back, like that's going to be a lot harder to pull off. Mike Hayes, Jensen, uh, what's more impressive to you, the way that the Suns have started out in this series against the Clippers or what Trey Young and the Hawks did to the Bucks last night? Pretty impressive, this Atlanta squad. Now have won game one on the road in three straight series. I think they're one of only four teams to do that. I, which stands out more to you? Uh, well, I love I hate that you have to make me choose, first of all. <laughs> you know, it's like choosing like my two favorite kids. Uh, as far as which is more impressive, I, I I think the Trey Young performance was more impressive, if only because, you know, to put up that stat line against a team that, in theory at least, and then I don't think they did a very good job of this, and I think they have a lot to clean up, but in theory that's a team with Drew Holiday as your main defender and – you know, pretty good paint protection. Like it's hard to be able to get in the lane against those guys, and Trey Young did it. So I think that was more impressive. But I mean, the Suns are just a joy to watch, and everything they do. I, I, I think it's more so that like I, 
I've been impressed by them all season. So what they've showcased against the Clippers is not as new to me as this Trey Young, which has really only come into view over the last few weeks. So on Trey Young, yeah, what he's been able to do over the last few weeks, 48 points last night, but he's been able to just get through any defense that the teams have thrown at him. And, I mean, he's no longer a budding star. He seems like a superstar. Did you have this? And going forward, is Trey Young going to be just one of the names that we have to circle that is like a, a nightly watch in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, I think if you ask a lot of NBA fans, he's kind of already been a guy that you need to circle and watch as a nightly watch in the NBA. And the only thing that's really changed is he's got actual teammates now. He's not playing with just young and inexperienced players. He's got a real NBA coach in Nate McMillan who has taken it to another level. He's got Capella, Bogdanovich, Herter, Gallinari, Lou Williams. They have a real team around him. You know, I... Did I expect this? Absolutely not. Like, to be there and to be in the conference finals? No, I didn't expect this. You know, I think what has happened is that early on in the season and a little bit in his career, he got a reputation for being sort of like, a, you know, to lack of better term, a good stats, a bad team guy. Did he really make his teammates better? You know, was he just sort of compiling numbers and hogging the ball? And I think he still obviously has the ball a lot and it sort of makes you wonder like, does that even, does that concept even exist really? Or are we just sort of making these things up, projecting someone else's bad problems onto a star player? But I do think that to some degree he's learned to be even more efficient in his movements. He's not trying to make every play all the time. I think he's now more willing to trust his teammates to manipulate the space and then give the ball up or, create space to let other people shine after he does the initial work and they can get it back or whatever. I just think he's learned a little bit more to trust how the other players in the team can make him better. And just, he's so much more efficient in his movements than he already was. So yeah, I mean, I think we're going to be hearing as long as we're going to be hearing Luka Doncic's name, I think we're going to be hearing Trey Young's name right next to him. It's not ahead of him. Yeah, Mike, we obviously know that Rick Carlisle is hired to, to be the head coach of the Indiana Pacers. He's back Jason Kidd for the Mavericks job, so that'll be uh, an interesting development to see who ends up getting the head coaching position uh, there in Dallas. Uh, I wanted to ask you real quick about the draft. We now know the lottery uh, and where uh, everyone is going to be picking those top three teams with Detroit, Houston, and Cleveland. Uh I I would assume that Cade Cunningham is going to be your top pick. I, I think that's I think that's a safe assumption. But the draft then I think really begins at number two. And in what direction would you advise the Houston Rockets to go? Uh, would you tell them that it's Jalen Suggs to be able to team with Christian Wood an inside outside game there? Uh, does Evan Mobley make a sense at two? How do you see that pick moving? Or is it too early and they'll probably wait until draft night to really figure it out? Well, I think it's Terrilli, and also I don't have like necessarily any specific reporting to suggest this, but I do think that it's not necessarily a given 100% that Kate Cunningham will go number one. Okay, you know, Troy okay. Weaver is is a general manager that will go against the grain. I believe he did say that, like, hey, we're going to go through this process. We're going to look at all these guys. And that's a very stark contrast to, like, if Zion Williamson was the number one pick. Like, David Griffin wasn't like, oh, yeah, we're going to go through the process on this one, you know. So I'm not saying that he's going to go in a different direction. I just He's the type of GM, I think, that would be willing to go against the grain there. So I wouldn't necessarily put it as a slam dunk. I think if you're Houston, I mean – 
there's really nobody on that roster that's a sacred cow. I think you just have to pick the, the very best player, regardless of position. You need to start building up. And I honestly don't know exactly who that is. I think there are a lot of potential players, guys like Mobley, uh, guys like uh, Suggs, guys like Jalen Green, who look really good in the for the G League select team. That is an intriguing option, I think. But that's kind of where I'd see it, and I just I still would not slam the door on Detroit going in a different direction. Talking to Mike Prada, Prada's Pictures, and NBA X's and O's newsletter on the Brian Heating and Cooling Systems fan guest hotline. Mike, I'll get you out of here on this one. Team USA for the Olympics, they have a roster now. You've got Kevin Durant and Draymond Green, they're returning. Stars like Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum, even guys like Devin Booker are saying they're going to join even if they have to run. I mean, if, yeah, I was seeing it, if it, like the Game 7 would be at latest... July 22nd, and then they, their first game in the Olympics would be July 25th, but he says he wants to do it. All of, all of that to say, what are your thoughts on this star-studded but new-to-Olympic competition team? A, a lot of the familiar faces are gone, and it's a pretty new Team USA for this year. By the way, isn't it ironic, um, Devin Booker, do you remember last time there was a, a Team USA, there was a lot of controversy that he pulled out of joining <laughs> it? Uh and people were like, well, he hasn't played in any big games. Like, how could he turn down that opportunity? And first of all, I look at him now, but now he's the one that like is like, yeah, I want to play, and even if I'm literally going to be jet-lagged for the first game. <laughs> right. Um, you know, <laughs> it's kind of funny when you think about it. I mean, as far as the talent, you know, we are a long way removed, I think, from the debacle at Greece, the 2006 World Championships when they finished third. You know, I'm not saying that it doesn't entirely matter who you pick, but regardless of who you pick, you're going to be a heavy favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's no slight to the international game. You know, I think there are a lot of... It, the way you think about it is, like, imagine if, like, each state had its own Olympic team. That's kind of what a lot of the European teams are. Yeah. Right? If you had, like, a, a team Europe, it might look... Well, because, yeah, you look at the all-NBA first team, and it's majority European yeah. guys right, right. now. <laughs> Right, right. And so, like, maybe, like, I've always thought, like, if you had, like, a Team LA, like, or Team California, that would be, like, a real, as a nation, that would be a real challenge to mm-hmm. it. But because you don't have that scenario, I think it, the U.S. should be heavy favorites regardless. And maybe they're thinking, like, hey, we don't really need someone like Booker or some of the other guys who are deep in the playoffs early in the Olympics. We can kind of get our way through the group stage and save them for the end. Uh, Mike, last one from me, and uh, appreciate you taking the time today. All right, uh, your your objective assessment of who will make the finals and who will win, and then uh, if you were betting with your heart and wanting someone to come out on top, uh, who would you give? I think it will be Phoenix game, but now Atlanta's starting to steal my heart a little bit. So I think that, I'd, frankly, I'd be happy with any scenario. I just love that there's new blood. All right, Mike, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me. He's Mike Prada. He uh, handles Prada's pictures and NBA X's and O's newsletter. He appears courtesy of the Bryant Heating and Cooling Systems fan guest hotline. We'll finish things on a Thursday with the NFL two-minute drill next. Rothman and Ice right here on The Fan. Checkpoint XP, your ultimate source for eSports and competition. Friday night at 10. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. At Midas, you'll find all the expertise you need, from brakes to tires to oil to everything. We're locally owned and operated and promise to tell you what needs fixing now and what can wait. 
Come on by and see us. It's time for the NFL two-minute drill. Sponsored by Dr. Mark Levy. Stop snoring and start sleeping now. Visit sleepbettercolumbus.com today. All right, time for the two-minute drill. Chops and Jensen Lewis hanging out on Rothman and Ice today. The NFL, this uh, just coming out here in the last hour or so, the NFL will bring back alternate color helmets next year. In a memo sent to teams this afternoon, the league announced a new policy that will give teams the opportunity to use two different helmets starting in the 2022 season. So not this year, but next year. A popular move with fans who like alternate and throwback uniforms. Teams can bear the second helmet with alternate throwback or color rush uniforms so long as they follow all league policy on ensuring that all alternate helmets are properly fitted and that all players are provided with sufficient opportunity to wear the alternate helmets in practice prior to wearing them in the game so yeah it goes back to that that rule this one seemed like yeah the rule was in the right place but it really didn't make that much sense that like they had the one helmet rule that players had to wear the same helmet throughout the year and it just no, I mean, as long as it's fitted and everything, if you trust the helmets, then different helmets should be fine. I think that's something that most people can agree on. Like, yeah, you want the helmets to be as safe as possible, but as, if it's the same model and it's fitted correctly, I think we're going to be okay if he has two different helmets and one gets to be the alternate color. Yeah, uh, I think this is going to be great. Uh, I mean, we had color rush jerseys, and uh, you want, you know, sometimes when you have that, the, it all doesn't match up well. So having the options there, and of course, uh, if it, is it going to make money? Yeah, the NFL will do it. So, uh, absolutely, this is a good move. As far as the Ohio teams, Cleveland, I don't know. Colin, let me know if you have any ideas for what Cleveland could do as far as an alternate helmet. But really, the logo is the helmet. So, I don't know if the Browns have have much going on there. Well, I know they have an alternate that's going to come out in terms of jersey color or Mm -hmm. uh, design. Like, they have kind of thrown back to the Jim Brown era. We're supposed to get that this year. Leather helmets, Um, all right. I'm thinking, I think back in the day, they had a white helmet with, like, numbers on it. Or just the original orange with numbers on it. But that's kind of a throwback option for them. So, they got some throwback options. The Bengals, though, they can do the white tiger helmets. And that would look really good with those those all-white color rush. Yes, it would. That would be sweet. Also from the NFL, this is their latest incentive to get uh, players uh, to go ahead and get vaccinated. Tom Pelissero of NFL Network reports that newly agreed upon rules read as follows. If a fully vaccinated player whose NFL player contract includes a per game roster bonus, e.g. active list roster bonus, active slash inactive list roster bonus, subsequently con- contracts COVID-19, uh, I just read the word contract, and then it changes to contracts here later. That that threw me off for a second. Contracts COVID-19, i.e. a breakthrough case, and misses one or more 2021 regular season games as a result of such COVID-19 diagnosis. Such player will be eligible to earn his per-game roster bonus for any such regular season games. So that means that if you are vaccinated and you get COVID and you have to sit out, you're still going to get your roster bonuses. You stack that on top of the loosened restrictions for practice, travel, team facility, all that stuff. And it's very clear that the NFL uh, just wants to make things easier for players who are vaccinated because they really want their uh, their players to get vaccinated and they just keep pushing out new rules that, that say that. Uh, don't tell that to Cole Beasley. Uh, right. Cole Beasley is not here for your roster bonus for getting the vaccination. <laughs> and, uh, he has made that quite clear. Uh, you know, they're, they're doing similar things uh, with MLB. You know, teams that are 85% vaccinated up, they'll have the loosened restrictions. You know, they can go uh, dine out uh, in public. They can, uh, you know, basically 
return to normal life. Um, and then also, uh, they don't have to. I got to remember what the uh, what the protocols are. Um, I think you have to go on on uh, the injury list. I mean, you're getting paid. Um, you get the service time and all that, but. Uh, again, uh, the NBA. You know, we just we're yeah, just seeing baseball, Chris Paul come back. Getting paid, they they yeah. have a really hard time taking away yeah. any of the money from the <laughs> yeah, baseball right. players. Yeah, so <laughs> now you're seeing in the NBA Finals how this has affected uh, the Suns and and Chris Paul is back. Mm-hmm. So uh, similar stuff. I, and that was the thing. If you were in a Survivor League or if you were in like the Super Contest in Vegas trying to to pick <laughs> spreads, you know, on a Saturday, and all of a sudden you wake up Sunday morning and uh, you know uh, the, the whole Raiders offensive line is in. COVID-19 protocol. I mean, it's uh, it, it. Hopefully, it's a lot more normal this year with uh, with the vaccine available and, and a lot of these uh, restrictions and protocols loosened. Yep. Jadavion Clowney, he says he doesn't mind playing outside or inside. So defensive coordinator for the Browns, Joe Woods, recently said he plans to move players on the line around to create favorable matchups. Cl- Clowney on that had to say, quote, everything happens quicker down there at tackle. You have to get into your rush a lot quicker with everything happening, but you're closer to the quarterback, so it's a win-lose situation. Everything happens fast, but you're gonna you're going against a lot of non-athletic guys inside, <laughs> so matchups are there, and you just take advantage of your matchups. I feel like I can play inside or outside. I don't wow. mind. All right, guards and centers, yep. I guess. And- <laughs> Not Jadavion, athletes. <laughs> Clowney, not not a fan of you. And uh, you, I mean, to be fair, Jadavion Clowney is a, a superior athlete freak, type yeah. guy. But I mean, guards are good too. We just had one in the in the top fifteen of the uh, PFF rankings. Don't don't be talking bad about guards. I played guard when I played football. He's so. not here for he's not here for your non athletic body chops. I Not resemble that. that remark, Jadavion. <laughs> last one for you. Uh, Tom Brady was on the Late Late Show with James Corden last night, and uh, he says he doesn't really have external motivation anymore. And let's see if you believe this. Quote, it's hard to walk away from something that you still feel like you can do and you want to do. So it's not about proving it to others what you can do. It's more about proving it to yourself. And I still feel like even though I'll be 44 this year, I still have a chance to prove it to myself that I can still do it at 44 because I really worked to a point where I can still do it at this age. I guess he wants to prove to himself that he can you know, still play football in the NFL at age 44, but you won the Super Bowl last year. Clearly, you still have outside motivation because I think there was definitely a big motivating part of him that wanted to prove that he could do it without Belichick mm-hmm. last year. So I'm not really buying this. And also, I don't understand the, I got to prove to myself that I can do it at 44. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess. But then at what year does that become... Does that go away? At what year does he say, nah, I don't think, I don't need to prove to myself I can do it at 46. That's too much. That's ridiculous. So, no, I don't I don't believe Tom Brady here. Well said. Uh, more gamesmanship, right? Uh, right. Just, uh, he's always a step ahead. Uh, what's the old cliche? He's playing chess. Everyone else is playing checkers. So, uh uh, we did not believe Devontae Adams and the Packers were not worried or talking about the Aaron Rodgers situation. I throw the challenge flag on you, sir, Tom Brady. I do not believe you. All right, Jensen, let's say we wrap up the week tomorrow. It'll be a good one. Common Man and T-Bone will take you through the rest of the afternoon. Rothman and Ice right here on The Fan.